0: cryptozoology and all subjects of theosophic truth, esotericism, and the occult beyond a top secret texan podcast. Greetings everybody out there in dreamland, I must say, and shalom. Iron sharpens iron, and a friend sharpens a friend. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan, with another episode of the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast. Thank you all very, very much for tuning in once again. Sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, I mean it. Thank you all very much. Deeply appreciate you guys, especially the long-time listeners, but if this is your first episode, Welcome you know, you are welcome, so just, uh, you know, hope you enjoy, but, but, you know, please, for everyone listening out there, highly, highly recommend listening through the whole episode, um, I know these are longer form episodes, but there's so much information that is, uh, mentioned, you know, throughout the episode, it's not just, uh, one or two points made with a lot of elaboration, Nearly every five to ten minutes, I do cover important subjects. It's just that there's that many subjects to cover, and um, in many of the cases of the subjects I'm speaking about, I do have to speak about a wide segment of material to make sense and to bring in the context the claims and, uh, you know, themes I'm discussing overall with the specific detailed points I'm making. So there's a lot of questions I'm receiving in my DMs and uh, my emails and everything. So I hope that is going to uh, be heard. And uh, the listeners, you know, can all have a satisfactory experience without having to be. Uh, spoon-fed, or to uh, you know, assume that that I should operate like other channels and other podcasts and other uh, you know creators. I, I, I'm not against those creators. If you can say something within 15 minutes or 25 minutes or within an hour, where I would take three hours to comfortably discuss something. I mean, that's apples and oranges. Yeah, that's just—I you know, have my own brand, and, and you know, I keep to it, and this is what I prefer to do. So, hopefully, um, you know, this isn't discourage anyone, and hopefully, this is what you're attracted to as uh, listeners: to these long-form, multi-hour episodes deep dives as they were, which I don't even consider them very deep dives, because deep dives are like David Icke speeches, which are like eight hours long, and, you know, with only an hour intermission and and two hour, four hour segments, it's like, those are deep dives, you know, I used to go to like days-long symposiums, or like film festivals, film festivals are odd, because those are deep dives into like creators, and Sometimes you'll watch maybe two or three days worth of films, you know, scheduled films over two or three days, uh, all day, most of the evening, and and maybe even all night. Uh, Just, you know, that that was just a hip thing to do. And that's even before my time. So it's like Woodstock was like a three-day music festival. See, these things are like deep dives into the subject themselves. It's like a thing. Patience and attention span, etc. So yeah. (coughs) And exactly, these are free too, so it's not like I'm charging. um, And then you could criticize the the show for being um, too too long. But exactly, I don't know. But yeah. Point is, new episode. uh, For all my new listeners out there. Uh, this is going to be uh, another long-form episode, classic uh, Beyond Top Secret Texan presentation. We're going to be speaking further onto the Hollow Earth exploration and, uh, as you call it, colonization, technologies, methods, and, um, you know, details of those operations um, that are currently... Occurring across, once again, I want to say across the globe, across the greater Earth, as the Earth Alliance, as we know it, um, has reached a Pax. Uh, I guess you call it uh, a Pax Ashtara, and, um, you know, an Ashtar high command peace brokered at the, you know, solar system level by the Jupiter Accords the signing of the Jupiter Accords and that was to officially call uh, force a ceasefire and a peace between um, the Blue Sphere Alliance and the Ashtar High Command and the Orion Draco Empires and uh, resulted in the Orion Draco electing to explore and colonize a new solar system with the assistance of the Notwaffen slash Dark Fleet and the blessings, the sponsorship of the Ashtar High Command with which it had reached a new peace accord these Jupiter Accords. In return, the Ashtar High Command would have total control over the solar system and it would no longer be in a state of hostilities uh, in any territory, nothing really would contest it, or, or no species would be afflicted by Orion Draco hostilities. It would inherit all the intelligent life and the intelligently controlled systems, as well as the relic empire of um, pre constructed, you know, reptilian uh, Orion Draco colonies, states, countries, moons, planets. The the you know trillions of mile square miles of um, territory that the Orion Draco covered physically covered. Now this allowed for the continuation or the the diversion of a seemingly nigh. Ultra terrestrial invasion Of the earth That was fast and rapidly Approaching um, Between the insectilians And our surface world Our 3D world You know the the matrix that we Choose to create psychically You know this gestalt uh, Consensus this consensual reality Uh, And so into our dome, into our sphere of, uh, reality. The, uh, that are ultra-terrestrials by definition, having evolved on Earth, just an alternative Earth, an Earth from an alternative timeline, uh, in the multiverse, where the Orion Draco went extinct millions of years before the evolution of humanity, and thus arose a, uh, Intelligent scavenger species, for lack of a better term, of highly technologically advanced, but yet socially still insect, uh, insectilian, you know, hive mind centered, um, you know, procreation focused, spiritually, you know, um, absent, but at the same time, physically very, uh, you know, resilient. And and uh, without thing without the burden of ego, which is um, you know why they were able to eventually develop technologies like interdimensional, multi-universe type travel, and then use that simply to fulfill their ultimate agenda of requiring new Orion Draco technology. It's a very odd situation. I think I've spoken about it several times before, but that's actually been averted. And uh, the the Insectilians entering our dimension are going to go straight directly to the remains of the Orion Draco Empire on Jupiter, uh, Mars, and the outer planets, um, like the moons of Jupiter, etc., and the different space colonies that they've uh, created, the artificial planetoids, the Trojan horses, etc. Those are going to be... Uh, their... Uh, consolation for avoiding any direct mining on earth or direct any uh direct uh, colonization of earth which at this time mankind would not be in the best situation to encounter uh, you know a very uh not outwardly hostile but still unstoppable um alien Uh, invasion regardless if it was you know it could be ultimately a peaceful one it would still be an unnecessary forced exposure and a very uh, unfortunate first encounter uh, between humans and extraterrestrials that would uh, that would force a lot of uh, important decisions much too quickly in the fate and history of our species well that has been averted and um, luckily so the Artemis Treaty was then allowed to be signed and the Artemis Treaty was where the um, Chinese no longer fearing this colonization of interdimensional insects as a inevitable hostility an inevitable war between the worlds an inevitable war between species and Surrendered, or at least uh, gave as, you know, like uh, a tribute and a gift of uh, respect to the Earth Alliance government, the Atlantis Rising government, the Solar Warden, uh, you know, the ICC uh, high table and the Astra High Command delegation and everything. They gave them the total access and the rights to. Uh, like permission to to enter the game, the locations of factories and cities that they had discovered in Antarctica that originally belonged to the Orion Draco. This otherwise would have been a, the this would have given them the ability to uh, and by them the Chinese the ability to uh, create alien designed. Spaceships for lack of a better word, weaponry, uh, technology of all kinds because the automation of the Orion Draco it would allow them to create new, not just recovered old uh, you know unfunctioning uh, you know derelict type ruins like you know basically when you find an Orion Draco spaceship in the desert. You know, it's an incredible chance discovery, but at the same time, it's like finding a Model T in, like, you know, the desert. It's, it's surely rusted and, and not in proper functioning order. And also, I mean, it's it, how do we know it even like? You'd say "How do we?" You would have to get it and then fig, it basically take it all apart just to be able to put it back together to figure out if it worked or not. Because if it didn't, there'd be no way of finding what was wrong with it. And so that's like it's more of like a. Mixed blessing to find technology, but to be able to produce it from a factory level by simply pressing a button or flipping a switch practically, uh, and then being able to like uh, start the assembly line where you start uh, building these Orion Draco, uh, you know, flying triangle type ships, etc. Uh, even the larger ones were possible with these factories. I mean, these are shipyards basically in Antarctica they returned them to the Earth Alliance. They didn't want anything to do with them. This was a sign of good faith and a sign that the military, at least the leadership, of the uh, CCP at this stage is is so pro-Earth and so pro-human that it's willing to like, uh, I guess you call it surrender alien technology rather than uh, use it in a, in a, like a hostile way. Or it was so paranoid that it would be attacked and destroyed for this that it's, it reasoned that the only way to win was to return it and get any kind of reputation, quote unquote gain face in the, uh, and the, the verbiage of the Chinese uh, to gain face in the, in the global community and to gain a lot of respect, which, which occurred. They were then given access to high advanced technology, including um, the keys to the more advanced aviation technology world, the dark world. And I spent the last episode that I did in, uh, on the Artemis Treaty and the Hollow Earth colonization, specifically talking about the aircraft that they would now have at their disposal and how those aircraft are used to colonize and to explore from everything from being able to reach to being able to uh, resupply efficiently and how the high technology of things like anti-gravity engines, etc., are used to convert otherwise high technology into even more advanced technology with even better capabilities such as extended range such as extended lift capaci- uh, capabilities such as the, uh, everything from, from creating um, ships that can um, you know, resist G-forces to ships that have uh, densities c- approximate to zero Um, You know, these are extremely great advantages which can occur through such the applications of like a cold fusion, a room temperature fusion, um, anti-gravity device, which uh, applies electromagnetic field to any structure, regardless of that structure's uh, size or, um, you know, shape or design or form. You could put it, for example, in a freighter ship. And that freighter ship would be able to exploit the benefits of anti-gravity. And by the benefits of anti-gravity, by reaching a density and a weight uh, close and proximate to zero. Literally defying gravity. Or at least not defying gravity but changing how gravity applies itself to it. So it does achieve a sense of lift or a sense of um, zero G while while within the earth's atmosphere. This is uh, a game changer when it comes to, as previously stated, crossing terrain, um, extending range of operations, And as well as providing for safety and things like, uh, you know, safety of no longer needing to to concern yourself with weight limits of air travel or weight limits of supply or, um, you know, fuel concerns or having to exactly carry on board your vessel or your vehicle, your aircraft, uh, very combustible materials which if there was any accident would be more of a harm than a benefit at that point like uh, oil or gasoline or etc and uh, even hydrogen fuel and, and because a lot of the electricity is run by this cold fusion system auxiliary power is typically ran off battery slash solar panel this is um, how they basically get by without the so they work at it from two angles one, they don't concern themselves with any max limit for weight and for occupied uh, space etc the only factor being space I mean the o- occupied uh, like um, the weight of materials etc are, are, um, they, they concern themselves with efficiency and with uh, reducing the necessary load that they can take It's hard to kind of explain or put in terms of it. Uh, Basically, the only limit they have is the physical space on these uh, transports. But then that's circumvented by just how many patrols or how many uh, trips they can actually get to certain things. Uh, They have no limit when it comes to, say for example, um, shipping something like the prefabricated materials to form a rudimentary colony. Creating a barracks and a science quarters and like a canteen and like a uh, you know like like a um, security fence and you know your generators and things like that your lights uh, all of that like your your heating systems can be sent because and on one trip if it can fit obviously but you don't have to worry about things like oil. Which in World War II, logistics in all militaries across the world became about oil and gasoline. Where millions of pounds of oil, millions of gallons of oil, millions of gallons of gasoline, diesel fuel, etc. Were being sent across the Pacific Ocean, just to give an analogy. And the majority of the American war effort was to secure the oil shipping lines. And in fact, a key weakness into other enemy or, or the Axis powers was because they lacked uh, uh, the the key shipping and supply routes to uh, convenient oil. And thus, the World war, too, uh, academically, really scholarly, is it could be considered the first war where oil was more important than food, where oil was more important than fresh water. You know, that it's that simple that no longer does the the powers to be whether they are military, whether they are government entity or private company private explorer uh, company these people have an amazingly easier time at exploring than they want you to believe because technology provides for them in a way that would... It's... It's more than a game changer. It... It's like... um, As radical... of a... edge... or advantage... as you could ask for... when it comes to actually traversing... and colonizing... setting up operations being mobile with the operations. And in reference, like, the American colonies across the Atlantic Ocean would take months to get ships across the Atlantic Ocean. I believe the average was like three months to sail a ship from Virginia to England. You could move and, and transport everything you need to both assemble the colony and populate it and move it in case the need be within three days and that's a long time Uh, that's a a very like you're taking your time to move these operations within three hours you could literally move every single person in an emergency you know regardless if you move the facility or not and these facilities really are left there that's what I'm saying. Like, if you wanted to move literally every single thing in the facility, it would take about three days. If you just wanted to leave, about three hours, and you could get hundreds of people who you brought there, you know, at your at your pace, into, um, you know, evac uh, vehicles, aircraft, um, what ne- what you need to, and and absolutely. Um, Evacuate safely, or at least uh, keep yourself mobile. And that's just in the hypothetical situation of needing, like, a, a, an emergency evacuation due to natural disaster, maybe a kaiju attack, maybe an enemy attack. But uh, in this episode, we're going to get into the technologies that are used to bring the people out there, who are used to um, keep them safe. That are used to let them explore on the land and and on the surface level, as well as to you know go into the hollow earth, etc. And, and in a rudimentary way, like how do they they actually begin to uh, colonize the hollow earth and keep a link in touch with both the Earth Alliance on the outside and inside, as well as some of the threats that they obviously incur, as well as some of the. Uh, environments that they uh, prepare for, that the environments of the Hollow Earth are are at least, you know, super common down there, as well as, you know, the truth about Antarctica and how they basically are terms that can intermix. When talking about the Hollow Earth, you might as well or easily be talking about Antarctica. Uh, You could also be talking about literally the Lost Lands of the Greater Earth. Uh, the great, um, seemingly very mystifying thing is that at a surface level, yes, the environments may differ, but they don't differ from what we've already encountered on Earth in our geology. The difference is just scale. And the difference of scale isn't what people think. Where it's always one or the other in an inverse land. Where, say, um, the greater Earth uh, provides larger uh, biospheres and ecosystems. uh, Whereas the hollow Earth provides more micro... Biospheres and um, ecosystems because it is subterranean, thus, logically, right, rationally, it would have a smaller area or more uh, confined, closed area to work with. And the logic that I'm trying to express is like if you think about life, the life in outer space must be of a greater scale than life, say, for example, in a cave, because a cave has a more confined and limited and constricted uh, flow of resources, and of course it's uh, confined, you know, maybe has an extreme lack of sunlight, things like that. The uh, like conventional methods of reasoning, right, like, zoologically, this has absolutely been proven to be not the case and proven to be actually inverse of that, where the thing, paradoxically, if you, for example, found a cave that was sealed off to the world for 300 million years, whereas logic would dictate nothing would be alive in this cave, entire ecosystems have formed in the cave, and not only that, the the experience of being in the cave could be like literally exploring another world, literally exploring a new planet. That is how um, oddly flourishing... As I said, like it's it's oddly flourishing. Where in the greater Earth, it, it's an inverse scale where it's actually hundreds of thousands of miles more in be- more to reach or to, to cross environmental biome lines, where um, you would have, for example, th- situations where oh, reminiscent of like the Australian outback. Where the Australian Outback is literally hundreds of millions of square miles of desert. Or you can have like uh, situations like you see in um, Siberia. Where it's just forest. Pine forest. As far as you can see. And when winter hits, there's no convenient demarcation. It is literally... Uh, an arctic uh, uh, down to the arctic circle where the entire environment literally looks the same and the dominant animals and flora and fauna are split between maybe five or six different species like a handful of species and within those species not to uh, you know but it's like the the situations of a snow leopard where it's like uh, there might be Two in like a hundred square kilometers or hundred square miles of land, you know, and there's like two of them, and and they intentionally avoid each other, you know, like or or there would be, um, you know, maybe uh, ten thousand animals, like you know, total, like biosignatures within, like, uh, the observable area, you know, 100,000 square miles or whatever, and then, like, all, but, like, 9,000 of them, and all but 1,000 of them are in one herd, and it's, like, a herd of, like, hoofed grazing animals, you know, like, a a type of antelope that's never been seen, and, you know, exactly, like, it, most, like, 99, like, 90% of all the animals are in one herd of, like, you know... Um, Sega or, or Saiga, however, you say that name, the S I I G A Mongolian, um, alien deer. Um, uh, you know, it, it's 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 absolutely like our Mongolia. Exactly, Mongolia is a great in, example for how the greater earth actually looks like. So, colonizing either one of those is two very different situations, and that's why I said the scale needs to be kind of uh um, better understood. Uh, So we'll get to that and why these technologies are absolutely necessary, but why these seemingly impossible distances and seemingly impossible uh, uh, intensities of natural, um, you know, call it hardship, call it uh, danger, call it uh, um, hostile terrain you know, are are not impossible. They're not immediate death sentences. They're not, um, um... impossible or even very intimidating environments due to the technology at hand, due to the technology that we're using, due to the, um... Uh, the a- extraterrestrial uh, intelligences which have been assisting us, as well as the, uh you know, just absolute human spirit that goes into doing it. The absolute um, instinctual kind of uh, uh, date with destiny that, that mankind seems to be fulfilling and in, in going where literally no man has ever gone before in many cases. or um, where men used to rule, you know, but... Haven't since they've literally gone extinct in these regions, uh, in many of these areas, uh, due to old terrestrials due to other intelligent life, due to situations beyond our control, like uh, cosmological disasters, etc., natural disasters like volcanoes, earthquakes, mud floods of various natures, and even an apocalyptic war. We are discovering most of our discoveries. Uh, you know, currently about these things where we're finding entire civilizations that, you know, the shadows are burned into the concrete and um, you know everything is untouched because the weaponry was based on neutro- uh, neutrinos their weaponry is based on neutron bombs was based on um uh, you know, Tesla howitzers electrical scalar weaponry things like that, you know, it's uh It's a lot. It's a a lot that's that's going on. And it's going on right over the horizon. And it's going on um, as they lie the powers to be the mainstream society, the Rockefeller Company, the USA Incorporated, USA Corp, World Corp, as they lie to you and tell you that there's nothing left to explore, that everything's already been found, that everyone's um... Everyone knows everything there is to know. And that, um, you know, the only thing in Antarctica is ice, wind, and snow. And, um, you know, there's no money in it. There's, you're a fool if you want to explore the world. Or you're a fool if you want to uh, keep looking for the unknown. And, you know, it, it's it's... absolutely perfect that the matrix would do that which is you know lie to our face to actually you know use double talk because it proves exactly what we're dealing with and that's uh, in a world that is by all definition this kind of controlled reality from the top down that uh, you know unless you can figure it out for yourself that it's been intentionally designed uh, like this, almost. Exactly. It's been intentionally designed where the the only answer the system can give is that this doesn't exist. Even though the system is building these things, even though the system is making these things, even though the system is the one doing this stuff, that the system has to tell you this isn't happening, that's what I was saying like even though the system is the one in Antarctica currently exploring it (laughs) with the technology that I'm going to tell you exists in this next hour um, that every official uh, you know from the system will tell you that this is all a fantasy this is all um, science fiction this is all you know unreal because you know they, they 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 operate exactly like that or the things that they discover they know full well in advance, no one else will know about it they know full well in advance at this point this is kind of a point I'm trying to make is that the people doing it, don't think anyone's gonna know this, the people figuring this stuff out don't believe at this stage that anyone will ever learn what they're doing except the other initiated members of this company, this corporation USA Corp, basically, USA Incorporated these are trade secrets these are natural resource secrets these are industrial secrets these are military secrets and we run on a system that its superiority domestically and abroad is based on its ability to keep secrecy And to claim resources to not to like, you know, to put up gates, to put up fences, to put up checkpoints, to put up security measures, to operate in great paranoia and secrecy um, for the profit of only a, a collected very elite amount of our society while the entire society lives in ignorance to operations going on that they are complicit to in their very existence. That's what I'm saying. It's perfect that a system like that would produce a system like this. Because that's the system. And it's, it's just... It's, exactly. like It's only one, one trick, and it's the trick of uh, keeping the secret. And everything real in this world is kept a secret. So you... You can, you can look for whistleblowers with official, you know, clearances and ties and everything, but those people will always be expressly punished. And people like myself in this podcast and others like me will always be considered fantasists and will always be considered fictions, uh, fictional, like, you know, um, uh, LARPers and things like that. Will always be considered storytellers. Because they can't punish us because we're not a part of the system. We're not employees of the system. They can't fire us. Exactly. So the corporation that keeps the secret. will just say that we don't know what we're talking about. Because we're not a part of it. So as I go on and. Um, you know you, you start kind of putting pieces together. Connecting the dots yourself. Uh, realize that you're not going to find this information from Any. Uh, so-called uh, veteran you're not going to find this information from any so-called uh, military expert, any historian, any um, you know uh, gun nerd any anything like that any armchair commando, any kind of like uh, you know cold warrior etc they' they've been taught by the system to control their urges and their instincts to gravitate to certain fields, but to seek no more than what they have been told is the only thing possible, the only thing that has happened, and the only thing that will happen. And this goes into even my interpretations of World War II, this goes into my interpretations of World War One, of the history of the America, the history of the world, and the paleontology with the existence of uh, dinosaur cryptozoology and zoology, all the experts that are coming at me right now, and I know that this is like the second time I've broken the fourth wall and like, uh, am directly referring to the people who are, you know, inboxing and commenting exa- exactly that, uh, will say that that's not what's taught in universities or that's not what's written in the books. Uh, remember that if you read only the books everyone has written, everyone's already, uh, written about and, and, and read, You can only think like everybody else. That's the whole purpose of rebellious academia, is that if the uh, syllabus is the same every year, and it's been the same as far as anyone remembers, then that means that for that long, no one's questioned this. No one has been able to think for themselves, and no one can, because it's clearly just a paint by numbers education and yes I've read all the the history books I've seen all the history documentaries I've seen the real um, uh, interpretations of history from the scholars and the you know the very dry academic uh, approaches to literally day-to-day operations in both war one and World war two uh, you know from from the personal survivor letters etc I've you know exactly I know the story they want you to tell they want you to believe I know the, the, the films they want you to watch I know the documentaries they want you to watch I know the the books they want you to read because they want you to think like everyone else who's seen that that's why they made it so, <laughs> that's why they wrote the book is so that they can tell you to read the book and then you're like oh I should just repeat what the book says you know and not think for yourself because you gotta connect dots it's not repeating information, it's putting that information to good use, and when you really start connecting dots and different uh, perspectives, you know, you start kind of weighing and, and eventually realizing that it's not, exactly, it's not as anywhere near accurate the information they tell you has to be so detailed and explained the way it is, because it is so, uh it's such a big lie it's such a ludicrous lie that they want you to believe that human nature and the events of history played out the way they did and it's paradoxical if you actually are a student of history even, and, and, and then you realize the whole thing unravels the whole thing um, leads its way to real sensory revelation and that is of um, the embracing of even older traditions And the creation of new interpretation of what's really going on in our world. The creation of the inheritance of interpretations of what's really going on in the universe and in the cosmos. And no longer do we need to rely on literal centuries-old matrix indoctrination. We don't. We we can be men of the 21st century and be men who can actually see the truth... uh, because we can imagine it for what it is, we can see it for what it is we can figure it out, we can learn how it runs, we don't have to trust that other people just know more than we do you know, we can think for ourselves and so that being said we can uh, go and looking at what they've already published. Say, for example, in Military.com and through Popular Mechanics and through um, you know other website affiliates, uh, third-party sites, the technology that they're currently using, the, te- the directions that they're currently going, the tactics that they're currently using, as well as the I guess you call it the the gestalt. Um, reference for how things are normally done and how things have been done in other previous colonization efforts other previous efforts of taming frontiers, dealing with aboriginals, dealing with local wildlife, dealing with uh, setting up colonies uh, infrastructure, populations etc. and we put those two together, which normally they never are put together people look at say for example the, the era of the 20th century and don't see that that's specifically because of colonization. People don't see uh, American history and think that's specifically because of colonization. Colonization is an important, fundamental element to the modern world. It's where one people go to a new land and create a new country. Create a new place. Create a new world for all intents and purposes. So, this is why it's extremely important. It's why also they want to keep it secret. And it's why also that the military is the one in charge of it. Because like every, every other past experience, the military is always the one in charge of it. Uh, when the Spanish colonized the New World, the conquistadors and the Catholic Church, which was the de facto um, version of like your main spiritual controller that could interpret it on an intellectual level, like a philosoph- uh, philosophical level, and your actual um, soldier class, who is literally the expendable, um, you know, security measure, when no doubt the hostilities of the world reject you. Exactly, when the re- when the world you're trying to invade rejects you, you no doubt have to force your way in, and um, it's a hundred percent kept in the the state of. Uh, above-top-secret military operations, etc. And many times, not even disclosed to the people who are literally involved with the operations. Um, That's why I said don't really speak to people, because people could actually have participated in various capacities in this exploration process and never even know about it. R.B. given a fake lie about it. R.B. told something completely ridiculous and through MKUltra and through just plain gullibility never really questioned the narrative that their, you know, CEO gave them and uh, never questioned the party line. It really is a system where the average person does not think. The average person simply uh, follows orders and simply does. And they um, they don't think in terms of like they don't think in terms of you know the truth even being kept from them or are, are there being anything to question if they're told for example that they're being sent to Iraq if they're being if they're told for example that they're being sent to uh, a desert like Saudi Arabia and being stationed there. ...for six months, right... ...as a National Guardsman... ...but they're gonna work in the... ...in the commissary... ...they're gonna work in the galley... ...they're gonna work in the uh, the commissary... ...the, the, the, the fucking... Um, ...canteen lines, right? They're gonna work in the galley... ...making food... ...sleeping in the barracks... ...they're never gonna go outside the wire... ...they're gonna maybe at most... ...smoke some cigarettes... ...and look around... ...and maybe walk around... ...and explore... ...like the base... And if you look in perspective, it's this wide desert, right? And they're like, holy shit. Like, it's just this featureless, boring, hot-ass desert. And they stay inside. And, of course, every once in a while you can play some sirens and and pretend that someone's shooting some mortars at you, you know. um, Every once in a while you bring some Arabic people in that will, you know, pretend to be locals. But generally, you could... (laughs) it would be so easy to do that anywhere in any desert in any circumstance in real time with almost no technology except for sleight of hand and if you include technology like, um, you know, subaudible you know, voice recordings played through their, you know beds at night or played through the walls at night that brainwashed them into thinking certain things, like feeling certain ways, or um, just giving them a low sedative and and just hypnotizing them through repetition. You know, having professional people who can psychologically monitor them—they're—they're they're nothing more than high school graduates if you're lucky. Exactly, it's—it's it's child's play. It's absolute child's play to keep these GIs thinking that they're in wars halfway across the real world when really they're just like in these Greater Earth colonies. Because the the continents that we're finding, are exactly, it's like going to the Australian outback, and dropping a guy off, and uh, you know having a base out there, and being like, oh, you're in Iraq, and they don't know the difference. That's what I'm saying. They don't. They don't. They couldn't possibly tell you the difference. There's no way for them to, to find the truth out. Not in the system that they've already created, the Rockefeller Corporation, the American military, as it's under the, the Rockefeller group, right? Like the, the the Rockefeller uh, GIs. It's, it's just that simple. And if you want to go into higher levels that the people who know about it, they, it's a one-way ticket. They're in societies, breakaway societies, they're alumni of societies. They're generational of societies where they are like, you know, third generation into these programs and things. They live in these breakaway civilizations full time. They have permanent residence in these other colonies. They have permanent residences outside of the known world. They start families. These are the first generational people of the uh, colonies. It's the point of colonization: is that there isn't like free travel back and forth. And a lot of times, it's not like it used to be where they would send prisoners and people of low birth to pad out the numbers. This is an extremely elite thing where not everyone in elite families, not everyone in an elite circle was by pedigree a member of their elite. It's called the house, right? And if you are like in, house, uh, in the house of Rockefeller, you You could either be first generation, second generation, third generation, but it's been around since the 1800s. It's the servants, the working, uh, the laborers, the workers, the cleaners, the the cooks, the drivers, the businessmen, the accountants, the uh, couriers. It's everyone who works for the Rockefellers. By this era in history, And by the 1950s, the selection process... The 1940s, the selection process was probably already being made. The 1930s and 20s, the selection process was already being made of who was going to be trusted with this. That's who is given permission to start basically in a new world as leadership. You're talking judges. You're talking basically people who control operations people who oversee operations and we're saying like what if you were like the butler or the help where it's like uh, you were a loyal uh, servant a and you ran mansions you ran parties you ran uh, gatherings like for them publicity things for them for years your family was given permission because they, they could trust you to oversee they're food c- processing companies, right? So now you're actually in business with them. Then they see you do a good job with that. And now because you owe the Rockefellers more than you owe any, say, for example, other person in the world, your loyalty, right? Like, you know, you are now literally more loyal because of the fact they literally made you who you were from a fucking cook to a millionaire CEO of uh, catering companies and like Cisco operations etc. They tell you that your family is now going to go to Antarctica and uh, you're going to be the head of all the food operations down there and you do it and you do that for several generations and you'll thank them for it and you'll never tell anyone and you won't ever want to tell anyone because you have no loyalty to anyone Besides that, who has made you literally a king on earth in the modern day? And that's how colonies work. You tell someone that you can trust, go to this colony and rule it for me in my name, because I can trust you because I made you, and I made your family. Also, I'm gonna keep one of your kids hostages or something like that. You know, like it's like, like you don't tell them I'm a hostage. It's weird. It's a very intricate process, but it's completely how things work and it's best understood through this understanding of how things have always worked like uh, organized crime has a huge amount of traditions left over from the old days of knights and like medieval societies of like thieves guilds and things like that like secret societies have morphed and evolved themselves into modern day corporations and modern day military uh, occupations um, those, have be, those are the evolutions of old colonial, old frontier methods of operation. When I'm going to be speaking about fortresses and things like that. Yes, a fort. The American army has hundreds of years of experience building and manning forts. Yes, believe it or not, the modern U.S. military... Originated the modern U.S. Army originated fighting Indians. It it, it, it lived in the wilderness and Valley Forge and shit. Like these are the things that it was created to do. They were never created to be the policemen of the world. That is a lie. They were created to colonize the shit out of places. By fighting Native Americans, by building and manning forts, by doing things like uh, like existing in in the Wild West and shit, and like exactly like mostly killing Indians, mostly keeping colonists safe, like pilgrims and shit safe. That's how the Knights Templar originated. The Knights Templar was when people were pilgrims to the Holy Land the knights would come along to keep you safe from, like, bandits or other assholes and shit. And this is how things like the knightly orders and the things like the the, the, you know, the knights of the round table and shit, the knights of the garter, the knights of Malta, that's their original mission. Like, they existed to keep people safe. Specifically Christians. But, you know, exactly. Specifically, they existed to keep Christians safe. And over time, that mission statement has begun to keep the world the way it is, in this state of perpetual security, uh, in like, uh, you know, m- uh, s- uh, simulation. It's because these knightly orders originally took vows to do so, to create kingdoms, which we are a part of. Exactly, like, you know, it all it rages back to its original dates and its original um, mission of the human spirit. So it's all in keeping, it's all in line, whatever iteration or uh, shape it's taking, whatever evolution it's ev- forming into, it's all originally the same thing. Which was colonies, expanding human empires, expanding humanity's reach, into different worlds, specifically the western man's reach, specifically the um, the industrial man's reach you could call it the um, an American manifest destiny, but now that the Chinese and the Russians are both heavily, heavily involved in it, as well as the European Union one has to understand that it could be um It could be a human, a universal human instinct. It could be something much greater than simply the creation of identities uh, through nation states or through spiritual principles. Or it could be that the human race has been hijacked by an extraterrestrial intelligence and we're being forced like ants to go forward into uh, new feeding grounds um, you know it, it could be it's open to interpretation, basically. it's open to interpretation, but I would like to I would like to positively look upon these things or at least perceive them with some optimism. Um, although yes, there are some uh, current genocides of the Aztec Mayans occurring, um, that also has been kind of resolved in a recent Artemis treaty, uh, but you know, as far as we know treaties have existed throughout time they're they're only as good as the paper they're written on when it comes to um the ultimate spirit of mankind at least the one I previously traditionally thought was the ultimate spirit the need to kill in war um uh with men with, between men and that the uh, holiest spirit between men was this uh, was this war uh, agreement that we had all established between each other? Uh, you know, if war if war not be holy, then men be antiquated clay. But uh, no, it seems to be the spirit of uh, the spirit of exploration. It seems to be the ex- the spirit of um, discovery, and it's taking it's taking over from this previous need to engage in uh, war and now that war fighting effort, that war fighting spirit is being converted into a colonization spirit or at least a colonization uh, drive, an instinct so yeah, we'll be getting into that I will be speaking about technologies, we'll be speaking about the methodologies, we'll be speaking about the different operations as we, uh, get into the second hour and hopefully maybe even, um, a third hour, depending if I can cover the material as fast as possible. Thank you all very much. You guys got a lot of guts, uh, for sticking through all these programs. Check out my Instagram if you haven't already. Check out the, uh, the YouTube channel. YouTube channel, I'm making a lot of videos on there currently, Library, Odyssey, I make video content as well as I post dank memes, etc. online. Um, If you want notifications for these episodes, if you haven't been getting them, um, subscribe to whatever channel you're listening to it on now, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Or uh, check out the Twitter I have for Beyond Top Secret Texan or um, consider joining um, the Telegram group, Beyond Top Secret Texan. Just basically Google that, uh, put it through your search bar and everything and see what comes up. Like and subscribe, check it out and I will see you after the musical break. Greetings back, everybody out there in Dreamland, welcome to the end of the world. Now we're going to be speaking again about the weapons, and I mean the literal end of the known world, because we're now entering the unknown world, the world of the lost continents, the greater earth continents, and the hollow earth, as well as the secret realities of Antarctica and you can't find these anywhere on any map. You can't find them anywhere on any published globe or any published atlas. Uh, literally, at any point in history. This is all new geographic theory. This is all new, controversial uh, geographic theory. Uh, I think it was pioneered by God Gave Slamst, this YouTube uh, channel, which I have previously already showcased on this channel and have raved about, but his work on deducing the uh, reality of a concept that he has called the greater earth, in which the moon is a plasma reflection of the true geography of the surface of the earth plane that we exist on and that our known geography of these seven continents uh, and you know the, how they they wrap around each other basically how they, basically they orient with each other you know the placement of everything hemispheres etc um, that is only one small fraction of a much larger, Map that extends uh, in a 360 degree radius around ourselves, um, meaning that everything that we are taught as available uh, land, literally the available land masses of the surface of the earth, is roughly only, I think eyeballing it maybe 5% of what is actually there to colonize and to live off of uh we maybe 5 to 10%. um but it's not much it, that's what i'm saying like in in proportion it's not a it's not a leap to say that we have a very small fraction of uh what is available and that is literally the end of the world literally the the if the saying if you sail to the edge of the world would you fall off It's you would never need to come back I mean the idea of uh, the scale of it it's like Hawaii and uh, America like it's exactly like, like, it's Hawaii and like South America like yes Hawaii's nice and you can live in Hawaii forever If you want, and you know there, it's nothing bad about it at all. But if you wanted to go elsewhere, there is undoubtedly much more land (laughs) across the ocean. That's the thing. If you wanted to build a boat and go from Hawaii to North America. It's not, a, you gotta check your ego at the door because that country is much, there are mountain ranges that are bigger than the Hawaiian Islands. <laughs> Let's say, like, there are mountain ranges on these new continents that are bigger than the entirety of Africa. It's not a matter of, um... uh it, It's a matter of thinking you're the center of the earth, literally the center of the earth, and it's like uh, the center of the universe type thing when you think about the maps that we have and the geography where we talk about and the egos of the country. So we don't even, we don't even have enough people to populate the Hawaiian islands that we have. And we're talking about colonizing this, like, you know, South America. And you're like, you know, we're going to need a lot more people. <laughs> if anything, if one thing is, like, one thing is good to say. Like one thing is absolutely factual. To say, is we need populations to, to increase maybe about 10, 20 fold before, um, there would be like a real, a real uh, ability to cover this much territory because the way it stands now is that it, exactly you could literally fit um, the entire Earth's population onto the islands that we're finding that are in the gulfs that we're discovering in new continental, uh, you know, uh, landmasses and formations, archipelagos, etc. Like, the, the, the scale of the available real estate is mind-blowing, and it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where it's, Uh, It's both very optimistic, because it's incredible that this world is so much larger than they've ever told us it was. And at the same time, you realize... Like, I'm not afraid of the dark anymore. But seriously, like, that is much more frightening of an unknown... But we know that there are higher powers, so at the same time, it's why there's not like a hesitation to my voice that I'm not fear-porting and fear-mongering. I know that there are higher powers as well as our technology is incredible, and I know it's like leave your ego at the door, like I just said. But at the same time, an arrow works, and I wouldn't discourage exploring. Yeah, if you're on Hawaii, get the fuck off Hawaii, go to California, you know, like go to, go to Mexico and start living like you know. An, Always go up. Upgrade. That's Like, Spain was little. Spain was, littler, was smaller than uh, Mexico and the Aztec Empire. Spain had less people. Spain went over there and, and then killed them with smallpox accidentally. And then took their gold. If we're led to believe what we're led to believe, they really just left. And that, by that time the Spanish showed up, they were completely gone. But, at the, you know, what I'm saying they didn't stop them. <laughs> it didn't stop them from getting on their fucking boats and their galleons and... Taking their Spanish asses across the Atlantic Ocean, ready for to fight, ready to take some shit, you know, on and conquer a new world. That's what I'm saying. That's a human spirit. There is nothing that I'm saying that discourages that. I'm saying that that's the the present reality of the scale that we're in on the greater Earth. Is we're like Spain, right? And we think we have everything figured out. We're like we're the Spanish. We we have the Spanish uh, dynasty. Queen Isabella and uh, she's given permission to the conquistadors to go to the new world and bring Catholicism and God to the, to the natives and the savages and then steal all the gold um, and bring it back so they can you know, pay for their wars uh, and that's exactly what we think is going on here and we don't understand the true scale of it yet like historically you can look back and see it for what it really was we are a very small nation, a very strong nation, a very small nation, though, regardless. And we are going forward into this incredibly large new world, repeating the same thing, even engaging in war with the Mayan Aztecs, who have already colonized and created this world, but in also history repeating itself were not the first original settlers and had more taken advantage of the fact that they discovered through their vision quest, basically, that this thing existed and how to use it. So through their cultural means, they're an independent and um, hostile nation of humans, but as um, human as we are, and also on the journey to technological like ascendancy, etc., so they have to be considered um uh, but at the same time, we're going back into the same loop where we are now the new old world, uh, the, coming from a small war machine type nation, uh, entering a, a sphere that's entirely controlled by the Aztec Maya culturally. Uh, in real, in reality, they have enslaved literally everything. Local and original there. Everything aboriginal there. And have just taken over all the resources. As we fight against them. Yes we are encountering the same thing. But this is the second iteration of it. Historically. And they are much more well prepared. As well as the environment being much larger. Than um, the... You know, isthmus of Mexico, the, the the Mexican Yucatan Gulf Coast, and the Caribbean <laughs> islands, as well as maybe, like, the Inca Peru mountain range. Like, yes, they, like, that is a large territory for very few people to conquer. Um, we're dealing with entire continents of size, you know, entire, entire, um... You know, deserts and and mountain ranges and jungles um, that are as alien to us with our combined knowledge as like, you know, people of the of the of the world, quote unquote, people of the modern world as the Amazon jungle was to the Spanish in the 1400s. Like, that's how alien it is. Like, we're encountering species, we're encountering environments, we're encountering peoples, we're encountering cultures, we're encountering uh, dangers as alien to people today in mind and in imagination as when the Spanish went to the New World and were like. You know, like, Dios mío, like, you know, like, doing the crossover themselves as they, like, saw people eating each other and shit. And you're like, if we're led to believe that that's really happened, that's like, like, this is how the mindset is. Like, when they were going through a jungle and being like, man, it hasn't stopped raining in three fucking months. You know, like, like, that has to mess with your head. And I said, like, there is this idea of the hardship. Not every Spanish person got to go. Not every Spanish person was was required or even like asked. They weren't even told what was going on. This was all done through the um, conquistadors. This was like a, this combination of mercantile, merchant-controlled, uh, petty aristoc- aristocracy that uh, wanted to, you know, basically get rich quick, and would hire out. Mercenary companies; they would hire out uh, private military companies, as well as uh, soldiers of Spain that wish to, you know, he's basically colonizing and gain, gain lands in the New World, and that was the exact same methodology of the situation uh, today in the Rockefeller-controlled U.S. United States military company. The combination of business mindset corporate mindset, the ICC mindset uh, with the combined hired mercenary elements of security forces that also may patrol uh, not through national like um, um, crusading or empire building but rather at this point through the absolute necessity that Colonies and colonization efforts are kept secure because of the absolute reality that there are hostiles, hostilities, dangers that must be provided for through security measures and means. You can't go there purely civilian. You can't go there purely unguarded or undefended. That is, um, literally a, a, uh suicide mission type thing. <coughs> so, now as we get into it, um... Keep in mind that, as I say, Army, as I say, United States Army, keep that in mind. Yes, the Army has developed this technology. It is not the Army of the people. It is not the Army of the national defense or the national identity of the American identity. At this point, it's for the highest dollar. At this point, it's a company. It is the United States Army Corporation Corporation it develops and acquires military hardware uh, for land assaults specializing in uh, infantrymen, mechanized infantry artillery, armored uh exactly, it's it's a specialized company, it's like Coca-Cola and that you might love it and you might think it's it has your best heart and mind, but no, it's for the highest bidder and um uh, the, the entire idea of it operating honestly is, is as secretive as the Air Force or as secretive as the Navy. What you see, and what they show you, is technology they made almost a hundred years ago. They have found 50 Cal's machine guns, Browning machine guns, uh, Ma Deuces that were over a hundred years old by this point. In the armory of active duty army units. We are going to war, quote-unquote, with 100-year-old technology. That's not, that's not reality. That's not the limitations. It's not the, 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 the potential and what the army really has done or what the army is really doing. Um, it's not my specialization I don't have any personal experience inside the big green machine but I can you know use analog training and thinking and basically so I don't know exactly the actual specifications for the research and development programs I know DARPA helps them out a lot and I'm assuming it's the same through every single branch in the Pentagon Um, so exactly I'm just using my my personal experience with the Navy and then the army is also a Goliath um uh, super, basically a super branch. Uh, the army and navy are, are are you know opposite analogs, opposite ends of the spectrum. But they're basically two of the, the you know dominating uh, traditional elements of the American war machine. You know the navy and the army. Uh, the army has as much to do with the invention of um, advanced technologies like night vision like um, you know exactly like sensory um, uh, technologies uh, on the ground and as well vehicle level uh, we're talking infrared uh, through the spectrum light spectrum um, everything from communication technology satellites radio to uh, you know virology biology they have a lot of natural science this is like I said before geology A lot of specialization in that field. Um, They also have a lot to do with... Creation of automatic... Like UAVs and things like that. Like automatic... uh, 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 AI controlled weapon systems. Like artillery systems that don't need human... um, uh, Human operators. Uh, They have things like... um, the augmented soldier of the future program where they're doing things like creating cyborgs and they're doing things like creating uh, biologically engineered uh, soldiers literally uh, with like exoskeletons and like basically creating um, cyborg humans to to serve in their special forces and things like that as like you know uh, shock troops basically outer space for this. this is why I'm saying all these all this research all this development Is not being used in Iraq. It's not being used in Afghanistan. When they make an invisible uh, uniform, right, and you put the uniform on and you can turn invisible, that's not meant to take out a guy who fucks a goat in Afghanistan. You know, who with like a ninth grade education and like, you know, two clips of an AK 47. You're not sending in a guy with like $3 million worth of technology on him. Not, not to count the research, not to count the training, not to count the... He's like, all that. To go and, like, kill a guy who is gonna blow up a jeep. No, you use that specifically when it comes to off-world, specifically when it comes to Solar Warden, or um, human versus other species type operations, or, hu- or real, uh, real engagements with advanced maybe superior enemies now this is what I'm saying is this technology you don't use there's no such thing as parody anymore it's called parody uh, in the esoteric lingo of the military where it's an enemy that is equal to you right the idea of an enemy being equal to you in this real world with the earth alliance with the existence of extraterrestrials with the existence of nuclear weapons etc does not exist Does not exist. If a war is gridlocked or stalemated, if an engagement is actually a threat, escalation to weapons of mass destruction is immediate. And with space being a domain, the idea of mobilization and maneuvering large formations of infantry and mechanized units against other modern countries, even second rate countries, is completely insane, especially with the addition of, um, especially with the addition of like cruise missiles or UAVs um, and stealth technology of, of any kind. Air Forces, for example, have made armies in the traditional capacity obsolete. So the only way the army is in existence today. And this is why I'm trying to get this across. Because the Marines do most of what you think the army does. Fallujah, for example, in Iraq, was fought by the Marine Corps. Not the army. Afghanistan, recently the fall of Kabul. Who was running the, the, the Kabul uh, airport? It uh, was Marines. Security detail was Marines. Like you understand like this is an idea that is it it was an international coalition. there were army troops there, but the ideas what I'm trying to express is that the the real role of the army is not in between these skirmishes, it's not in between these little petty wars. it's elsewhere. The tanks that they have, that they're building, the modern ones, the modern artillery, the modern automated uh, weaponry systems, uh, weapons platforms, uh, things like, for example, the the uh, publicly known as Israeli-funded and developed technologies such as smart weapons, uh, using uh, AI and video equipment to line up shots. For 100% accuracy. Thus reducing the need. For literal years. Of marksmanship training. And turning. Anyone into a. Marksman. If they follow the instructions. That the literal weapon device. The module on your weapon. Is telling you which is lining up crosshairs that so easy that any child that has played video games can do it now yes the the situation of battle chaos uh killing instinct etc is different and that needs to be worked out but you see how that it makes the process much more efficient and it's not something that's been given to national guardsmen it's not someone being given to people going through boot camp um One of the things that I remember seeing in uh, the the videos, in the literature, the documentaries I've watched over the years, bullets that are self-guided. And so basically they operate the same way as missiles, like anti-tank missiles, where they fire and then they are either guided by wire or um, act like uh, little smart missiles, little smart bombs. And they can follow, you know, video feed to their target with uh, fins. And they are capable of creating amazing curvature going around corners, barriers. That is not publicly talked about information. But that's exactly what the Army does. The Army funds the procurement of advanced weaponry, which does not, it is not given to the basic soldier. It is not. Deployed in the basic warfare uh, theater, even an official theater like Afghanistan or um, Iraq or Syria, it's not going there. It's going to these lands, these hollow earth expeditions. The thing is that they prevent and they allow, so the way they operate is only possible with these technologies. They operate through a very limited Skeleton crew of either special operations types, ranger elements, with either um, I think there's a, a a minimum of two and a maximum of 16 per uh, actual patrol, like per actual scouting. this is kind of a weird way I saw yeah I'll talk about the scouts and bring it all the way back to the base so your most fringe elements that you're going to find in the hollow earth are the the lost continents or the jungles of Antarctica are these scouts these scouts of course could be any nation I'm using the American nation this is what I know about like last time I was talking about China but using American technology because those are the platforms that are going to be used uh, the Americans created the doctrine on how to do this. This is from literally the days of the cowboys, the days of the, time, uh, the Indian Wars, and, and the old forts, etc., like that. American cavalry and stuff like this is exactly what the the operations uh, traditionally were were scouts in countries that were hostile territory to Americans. And in, in what we would know now as America, we're talking Wyoming, we're talking Colorado, we're talking, you know, Arizona, uh, you know, New Mexico, those were hostile lands. And that, that's where the United States Army was operating, was literally the United States. So their, their, their doctrine is actually pretty sound. It's, it's centuries old. So they're operate with these scouts, these ranger elements, completely intentionally, uh, or with the intention of keeping everything at range and keeping their operations completely covert, even in these um, explorative phases. They'll try to reduce as much signal, reduce as much... Uh, they won't try to start fires. They won't try to start, uh, you know, d- damaging any lands or, or clearing zones because there are ways there are other technologies in operation there are ways that, that could seriously impact any environment and give away a lot of positions as well as anger in uh, turn against a lot of systems like uh for example um, there are is like a type of ant like a type of a version of an insect like an ant like a hive mind it's not a true ant it nor is it like anything kind of like noticeable but it does operate exactly like an ant they whenever any part of their element or their environment is disturbed you know go into a frenzy and it becomes uh, you know a serious threat because they you know number in the millions it's like uh, the soldier ants of the Amazon so if you chop down any tree if you start uh, you know clearing out any brush a situation like a hostile and uh, the hostilities of the environment, become more probable, so that is, you know, kind of shied away from they don't try to do that as much, so these people live off the land, they live basically, um, you know, as, as, um, off-grid as possible, without any kind of, a uh, change to the environment, they're just there for recon, right, their weaponry, though, is range, uh, long, long range, so they keep a lot of, uh, sniper rifles, um, they keep a lot of, um, you know, laser range finders, basically scouting and survey gear, uh um, huge amount of, um, you know, night vision goggles, uh, different sensory equipment, uh, infrared type, you know, overhead, um, and they keep the minimal amount of gear. The things that they do have, though, are the exoskeletons for their, um, lower body, their legs as well as their back brace, which is this uh, kind of harness that allows them to carry a huge amount of rucksack, like like, like much, much heavier than 100 pounds uh, of pack because it's carried through this kind of a brace that fits over their shoulders. So they do employ the exoskeleton. Now, the communications they use, traditional radio, they're only speaking to their uh, platoons or their field uh, HQs. Uh, They're not trying to broadcast, you know, long distance for mobilization for for moving, literally moving, Uh, they have access to uh, BMX bikes that run on water. They're uh, uh, electro... um, uh, hydro... um, hydro electrolysis. Hydro electrolysis. The uh, ability to convert water into hydrogen and hydrogen fuel. So any water source allows them to refuel uh, these bikes and the bikes are designed military grade, you know, motocross bikes that allow them to go across all terrain. They're actually quite, uh, they're actually quiet because of uh, the electric, you know, water-powered engine and the fact that, uh, the hydrogen-powered engine and the fact that the ruffler system is uh, you know, very very top-notch. Like, that alone, as i was saying, like, they, they make things like really advanced motocross bikes, really durable motocross bikes, best the money can make, best money can buy type thing. They also ride in dune buggies, uh, little like type of uh, uh, battle wagons and little dune buggies that oftentimes are turned to uh, tacticals and they carry 50 cal overheads on the back. Uh, Generally automated at this point, they don't need an outside gunner. They just let it run as a sentry, you know, automatic sentry. And they can manually control it from the interior with a joystick. Of course, they can always uh, go outside of the, the Doom Buggy itself and manually operate the, the weapon as they prefer as they choose. But for security reasons, they may also choose to operate it inside using whatever light armor the Doom Buggy provides. The, um, the Doom Buggy can also be operated uh, remotely... Uh, separate from the operators, as an accompanying typo, uh, either for for uh, cargo capabilities, uh, but basically can be driven like a remote control car. Uh, people standing on the outside of it, either for whatever reason that they might see, you know, in the circumstance, or as uh, a way of uh, you know keeping control of it, keeping security of it. Um, and it's extremely reliable, extremely um, versatile uh, platform at that point, uh, with the gun mount being able to, you know, house several variations of, of armament from, you know, anti-armor, uh, you know, tow missiles to uh, fully automatic weaponry, 30-millimeter cannons, etc. so... With the, with the maximum occupation of four, and and then two riding on the side, so um, six. But a very secure and four. And of course, these dune buggies are both efficient and and, and inexpensive to operate. Although you no know, expense is not an option. So the uh, I guess you call it the second amount of uh, I guess you call it the the second closer you would get. From these furthest edges. If we're going into. Um, if we're going into the. Uh, realm of mechanized infantry. Then it would be. Your troop transports. Your uh, armor personnel carriers. Etc. Which can also be decked out to be. Uh, mobile HQ centers. Mobile command centers. Um, I believe they can hold. Um, Twelve. Fully. Kitted out. Uh, people but 16 uh, lightly kitted out people if they were like you know really really squeezing in there so we're talking about half a platoon's worth and you can usually operate these two three at a time uh, two you know going out as an element one laying bag supporting it as the HQ element filled with its radio equipment etc thus able to get 30 men you know not only defended if they if things go south, because of the armor that they provide, uh, maybe some natives uh, firing through whatever range of technology that they have depressed in, either you know, <laughs> bows and arrows or actual uh, you know, you know, ballistas, crossbows, things like that, or real weaponry, real firearms, uh, real laser weaponry. Uh, these... Th- Natives exactly are scavengers of ruins of advanced um, civilizations. So they have everything from uh, legacy inherited swords from just, you know, from the finest just Imagine fighting someone, you know, with a sword that was made 12,000 years ago. That's in pristine condition. Um, but they also might easily have uh, been able to create armor. And, and, and I mean, literally, um, um, ...armored vehicles of... ...of their own... um, ...you know... ...technology... uh, ...blesses everyone... ...and... um, ...we're not speaking about... ...primitives anymore... ...we're not speaking about savages anymore... ...with the Mayan Aztec... ...they have... ...stone airships... ...they have... uh, ...energy weapons... ...they have... um, ...exactly... uh, ...armored vehicles... Heavy weaponry. They have a complex organizational system, discipline, doctrine. They have air coordinate, air support uh, tactics. They have uh, uh, everything that rivals and equals us, and in many ways, they are superior to us in terms of uh, their own tactics and their own environments. They work, you know, cohesively in superior ways because we have very limited numbers, we have very limited knowledge of the terrain, very limited knowledge of the environment uh, natural cycles, etc. They can attack for example during the rainy seasons limiting our communication or visibility uh, they, they also don't need to rely on uh, positions of what they would call weakness in military colleges but they can operate on positions of strength, outnumbering us, providing um, larger amounts of more advanced technology Uh, For example, while we may be nuclear, I mean, we will have to rely on that nuclear weaponry because they are also, you know, using and deploying weapons of mass destruction, massive uh, formations of air-powered or land, you know, power armor, and it's just, um, you know, it's actually a real war with an equal, if not more, superior opponents, because we have to bring the best. We have to constantly be bringing the best. Now, uh, at this stage, it's a good idea to talk about the people's kit and the people's uh, battle rattle when they go out there. Basically, starting from the ground up, you got your exoskeletons that I mentioned before. Everything now, including the third arm system, which allows for the actual mechanical uh, aiming and, and, you know, carrying a weaponry, assistant carrier weaponry. Uh, third-arm cradle system, as well as even a quad-arm cradle system allowing for the um, carrying of much heavier weaponry than a normal person would conveniently or comfortably even rely on, such as, for example, uh, uh, 50 cals or uh, miniguns. And the electric minigun is now made a possibility using these systems, these carriage systems, which the arms are linked to the back brace, which are linked to the whole exoskeletal harness, and the weight of the weapon is burdened by the mechanical arm system, while aiming is a matter of just adjusting it on a pivot and a spindle, uh, or a pivot. And um, the weapon, the ammo, which was also a factor, because, of course, for every ounce you have to carry, you have to be responsible for, you know, and then... When you do use it, it's it's now gone forever, and it's it's not like it's convenient or easy or everywhere to find a mini gun ammo. So uh, the whole idea of your weight limit is now taken a burden by the exoskeleton itself, as well as you know AI powered uh, little robots known as mules. And these mules are actually not little robots; they're larger than men. But you know they are fully capable of following and tracking a individual through hazardous environments uh, carrying cargo such as ammunition. And they um you know they're machines. They're but they can they can follow people indoors, upstairs, uh at least to secure fire zones across the battlefield or at least uh, perform uh rudimentary logistics like humping ammo from one relay station to another, uh, re- rally point to another, as well as, um, ATVs being converted, like I said before, into specific cargo, um, um cargo carrying, uh, armored transports, specifically because the ATV is so versatile, but at the same time, um, the priority is the automatic rate of fire, the priority is the firing of ammunition that is a much higher quality and much uh higher strength than conventionally understood see it's not the it's not what's firing the bullet it's what bullet the gun is firing and at this point we're talking about armored piercing depleted uranium uh as a default we're talking about hollow points we're talking about um Flashette rounds, we're talking about dragon's breath rounds, and rifle rounds where it was conveniently un- understood to be the incendiary we're talking about um, you know experimental Kevlar uh, rounds, we're talking about um, uh, you know, plus powder P plus, we're talking about um, we're talking about magnum uh, rounds, we're talking about literally everything smart rounds uh, and we're talking about different experimental weapons platforms for example you don't bring a, uh, a a anything less than the maximum in these situations 40 millimeter grenade launcher attachments uh we're talking um uh, dazzler laser attachments we're talking about like uh You know, extended magazines, uh, drum-fed magazines, where applicable, assault shotguns, we're talking about, uh, you know, um, electronic-powered uh, uh, trigger systems for uh, weaponry that generally rely on a mechanical system to inc- increase its uh, uh, rate of fire even, even more and uh, diminish any kind of wear and tear. We're talking about, um, you know, everything from, as, pre- as previously mentioned, the self-guiding bullets to, um, you know, the, the smart AI-powered uh, aiming modules converted to every weapon, you know, including the minigun, etc., which absolutely multiplies the force of each of these individual uh you know rangers are um soldiers at this point into i mean into uh near uh, robotic you know machine like uh abilities it's it's their their performance would be obviously far superior to to anyone unassisted by this and it's just because of the assistance of the technology so thus 30 can operate with the equivalency of 300 men. And so those two ATVs uh, full of, uh, you know, exoskeleton kitted out, either with 40-millimeter grenade launchers or or miniguns or, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, extended uh, mid-range to long-range carbines, uh, they are able to absolutely uh, provide as much firepower and as much operational ability through their through their technology as 300 men. So we don't need whole cavalry divisions. We I think Custer. The point I was trying to make with 300 men is that like, Custer I think had 300 men when he when he attacked uh, when he attacked. Uh, Little Bighorn. Let me look that up real quick. So I had that in my notes. Yeah, Custer's last act. Let's see how many men. The Battle of Little Bighorn. Okay, so he had 700 cavalrymen. And he lost 300. 268 were killed, 55 were wounded. That's where I got the 300 figure from. So, yeah, General Custer had 700 men, but he only had 700 men. Thirsty, tired, saddle sore, bored, just just untrained, you know, just, just generally just bullshitting, unskilled guys. Who, when the time came, 1,500 to 2,500 Sioux warriors killed 300 of them. They didn't lose every single one of them, but most of them just ran away. You don't need to repeat those mistakes anymore. Relying on the human factor, relying on the individual, an outnumbered individual, an outgunned individual... Simply with the shirt on his back. To tame a wild west. To tame the frontier anymore. There there are no more disasters. Although there still are. Don't get me wrong. There still are uh, defeats. And annihilations. And massacres. Where the company men of the Rockefeller uh, U.S. company... Are massacred just as violently in the, as the Battle of Little Bighorn you know happening as we speak right now, or as you listen to me speak, um, you know that that is a daily thing, but the situations are scaled up proportionally, where if Custer would have had a technology you know he we have now, those seven hundred men could have fought like seven thousand men. You know, like that. That's imagine if Custer really had the technology that we have now. That it wouldn't matter if he had 2,500 Sioux warriors to fight. You know, it's force multiplication. It's about technology. And you, no matter if you're an American or not, it's you're still only one man. And as I said about the 300, is that 300 men that day were killed. And that's what we know is the greatest massacre of, human, of American military life. It's like the greatest defeat in American military history was the Battle of Little Bighorn. Custer's Last Stand. Where they were absolutely crushed by uh, the natives. While they were trying to colonize and explore and tame the new world. Do you see what I'm saying? Is the Americans take the lesson. And they've learned that, doesn't, that the answer isn't putting more men there. It's giving the men more. That's giving the men you have there more. Fully automatic, uh, minigun level, you know, rates of fire, as well as the electric, you know, rotation, rotating barrels, making the uh, the operations of which much easier and much more convenient, literally on like I you know, weaponsmith level. The maintenance of the weapons so they can operate, although we're not talking about them needing to, but still, this is the real world. Operate in natural environments for much longer uh, than, you know, any, a conventional um, I guess you call it lower grade weapon ever would. These are built out of materials that don't rust. They're built out of carbon fibers. They're built out of plastics. Uh, you know, that, that are custom made. They're built out of the best metals. They are not uh, made by the lowest bidder. They are absolutely the best mankind can make. Same with, uh, for example, uh, the applications and the use of UAVs, personal drones, etc. These aren't off-market, you know, third-party created drones. These are United States government-made drones. And uh, they have, on a ground level, the ability to deploy drones... To act like eyes in the sky. To act like sensory units when you sleep. No longer are men needed to go out into the world naked for all intents and purposes. And when they close their eyes, you know, blind and vulnerable. They can put up automatic machine guns when they go make camp. They can uh, set up sensor triggers with IR laser beams without having to run tripwires to real explosives. They can uh, send up drones to scout miles in advance. You know, instead of having to literally hope for the best as they cross dense forest, etc. Wondering what's on the other side of everything that they face. Uh, the, the, the efforts that I'm talking about have to be understood as half-human... With half human courage, half human uh, stamina, half human athleticism, and half technology. With drones, with uh, motorized vehicles, um, carrying the burden, carrying the heavy lifting, carrying the load. um, That makes the human element ten times as efficient as previously discussed. It is like... uh, It's it's as convenient as having a calculator in math math class, you know, to have these UAVs actually out in the wild. Um, You know, generally, people don't even imagine that a situation of being in, say, for example, the jungle, you know, would be improved by having, say, an AI that could help distinguish between plant species and all you would do is need to take a photo or at least, you know, an image of the plant and have an AI distinguish what plant it is, you know, via a leaf. And so you would no longer need your judgment. You would no longer make mistakes. The human error would no longer be as big as a factor. And everything from meteorological readings to predicting the weather, exactly to predicting, uh, you know where you need to go, compasses it, it's much it's much easier it's much easier just, just, let, just let that be uh, the takeaway from this huge presentation is that our exploration efforts are light years ahead of the American cavalry who are fighting the Apache they're light years ahead of the American cavalry who tamed the Sioux they're much they're they're light years ahead of the American cavalry that tamed the Cherokee, but the spirit the Americans that are doing it are the same, and they're applying those tactics with modern day technology. Now, as the ATV is to the horse, we do have uh, even more impressive artillery, generally light armored. Tanks, and that apply anti-gravity to themselves. Like they're, they're, I mean, anti-gravity has been applied to itself, or them, um, as platforms, and thus they can hover. I know this sounds insane, but they also can generate a force field. You'll start seeing this disclosed as time increases into the century. That armored vehicles are designing force fields because this technology already exists and this technology is being used specifically in the hollow earth specifically in these lost continents specifically in Antarctica and was developed and designed and off world uh, to fight ultra terrestrials and non-human species, it's not just to fight uh, Johnny Jihad with an RPG Uh, you know uh, existent Abram's armor is already superior to any kind of countermeasure that survived the Gulf War without taking a single casualty. Uh, what they are developing the force shield for, the force field for, is Aztec Mayan energy weaponry, as well as physical obsidian lances that operate like, uh, molten copper, etc. Um that are heat and in, in sabo rounds that are fired basically from their analogs, their weapons themselves. Uh, I'll go into the Mayan Aztecs weaponry in a separate episode. Um, but yes, they have counter-armor. They have countermeasures. No amount of armor at that point can protect you. So they rely on light armor because they want mobility. They want to increase the amount of... Uh, crew and uh, you know dimensions they can apply with the minimum of weight and excess you know like uh, bulk the way they you know successfully do this is they use the anti-gravity device to lower their weight to approximately 0 thus maximizing how much armor they can keep while minimizing you know while keeping their their weight to a minimum and also uh, maximizing the amount of ammo they can keep, thus becoming long-term uh, patrol slash, you know, basically mobile outposts and force multipliers. And we're talking, they use this same system for artillery, they use the same system for tanks, they use the same system for, um, you know, anti-aircraft uh, guns, they use the same system for mobile HQ platforms like, uh, your radar towers, etc. Um, these... Anti-gravity systems, in many ways, replace the wheel and track system as the primary means of conveyance. They typically rely on the anti-gravity. They'll use the tracks. They'll use wheels, like actual tires and tracks, to mobilize, to move, to accelerate on the ground. But if you were to actually look at the weight distribution the tank or the the vehicle is floating basically on the axles they don't have to if they if they if they turned it to 10 right metaphorically speaking the tank would float but they keep it just on enough that the density of the tank is reduced to approximately 0 thus it's in a state of 0g but it's not it's not enough to, you know, literally lift off or to push itself off the ground. They keep it just under that limit. And the tracks will be able to maneuver it, etc. Using the the, uh, hydro-electrolysis, the water is the fuel source for all the internal operations. Uh, There is no weight limit really besides the the actual available space the vehicles have uh, to spare for ammo containment, etc. And they don 't suffer any ill effects for terrain because there's not any weight pushing into the environment. They can go over mud they can go over water, they can go over swamps, they can go over ice they can go uh up mountains they can go uh vertical hills These they don 't have to suffer a sensor of gravity type defect and also the defect of weighing like a thousand tons um this is why it's not. It, it, this is why they use armor. This is why they have made these tanks automatic and everything. They don't need tank crews, which would be about four to five, maybe even six, seven men per tank, plus the logistics services, etc. They've tried to automate as much of the uh, mechanized armor process as possible. They're vital. They're extremely vital to the actual force that could be brought forward to securing and defending a colony or defending any kind of operation or, or meeting any threat on a ground level. And at the same time, they're just a... a um, an incredible asset when it comes to... Um, like you know, it, exactly like the idea of man when it, in this colonization process, it is not one person. You know the limits of what man is. It's his inventions, his machines. the The presence of armor improves morale. It motivates. It provides a sense of security, and it reminds the settlers and the colonists and the people who are fighting on the ground of their. Uh, humanity, or at least of their lineage and legacy. It's like uh, as equally beneficial psychologically and intangibly on these kinds of factors that really help out more in the long run. And thus symbolically there's a huge emphasis on creating um Near invulnerable tanks, not to fight other humans who would rely on air power, and not to contend with a li- with a literal uh, like they're not trying to win wars with them. They're not trying to actually defeat opponents with them, and defeat enemies of equal like they're not trying to defeat enemy tanks. They're trying to use them specifically to serve as symbolic. Uh, Defenders, slash, you know, uh, uh, living idols, really, to the American military industrial might, the American military machine, and uh, you know, they're like uh, they're like uh, Ushbanti from the ancient Egyptians. They're like these totems of war that with their AI and with their automation kind of have their own machine spirit and because they they can operate you know they do patrols they 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 perform their own missions they have this sense of like being guard dogs or being shepherds of the colonists themselves there is definitely a lot more going on behind the scenes now that i'm saying it out loud behind that evolution of the military's AI And it's uh, usage of the armor and and tanks themselves, specifically. Um, But yeah, we'll be getting into this in the third hour. I hope you guys are liking the musical interlude so far. Definitely reminding you to to subscribe on Instagram for, um, you know, images, daily updates, notifications for new episodes, etc. As well as checking out the YouTube where I post uh, video evidence of conspiracies, paranormal events, things like that. As well as... um, you can find my original episodes, my original video essays that I created before I had created this podcast as a means to um, speak about the secret space program, the Hollow Earth, and these greater Earth issues as they relate to the United States military. So thank you very much uh, for your guys' patience and your guts. Thank you all out there in Dreamline. You're the best audience in the world. And thank you to all my Patreons who support me you know, with their donations and their um, official membership you too can support this channel fund independent journalism fund independent creation and, uh, and content with one dollar, only one dollar a month can gain access to hours of exclusive rare video evidence as well as an uncensored telegram chat group, as well as exclusive content that only my patreons are given links to view so for only $1, you too can become a member of the Patreon. Patreon.com slash texan. Thank you all very much for considering it. And thank you all very much for those who have already become patrons. Thank you all. Without you, this isn't possible. And with you, this is all because of you. So thank you all very much. Now, I'll be seeing you again after this musical break. Okay, welcome back to this third hour of the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast. I have just gone through the process to explain the outer security defenses. That is no way the limitation of their abilities because they have circumstances where they use other alternatives, uh, but in keeping with it, we're kind of, you no know, expediency and summarization of it. I'm just going to leave it at that. And keeping the progress and moving forward. I guess you call it, ever inward. I, I just realized it's very strange. I started at the very outer limits of the uh, perimeter slash patrol slash uh, security measures, and I'm working my way back uh, to, I guess you would call it, the colony itself, the heart of the colony, and then its connection to the uh, logistics of the real world, connecting to the, the rest of the world. And I'll rush through this because the hour... Is upon us. The game is afoot. So yeah, basically, um, after you get past your patrols, your security duties, that that where it's uh, only military, only trained personnel, active, you know, hostilities, uh, active hostile zones, active uh, red zones, um, you know. Separate black areas, et cetera, off limit areas outside the wire. This is that's that's literally where either maps are being, like you know, made um, specifically because of military or where hostilities have already been engaged with, and it's literally the the furthest extremes of um, our reach is where the operate is where the uh, operators and the equipment I was just explained. Um, where it exists in this this whole system you know where it operates and it's it's purpose in this whole system now as you enter closer to the colony you start seeing the trade outposts and security outposts, the HQ centers and everything the science outposts this is where you start getting a mix of civilian plus military intelligence and military you know uh, admin officers and everything like that as well as your barracks your, um, you know, your your depots, your ammo, uh, your armories, your caches, etc., as well as your maintenance uh, facilities, any kind of like, garages, like you know, that you need to fix vehicles on site, UAVs, etc. Um, you know, this is where that level of involvement is going to be, um, not. 100% outside of the safety generally in very secure areas where the confidence is very high that being said that's a circumstantial thing and of course they would be foolish not to develop a, you know perimeters and defensive measures with that in mind everything from razor wire good old fashioned razor wire to you know electrified fencing and um you know, as many sentry guns as they could possibly connect, uh, you know, online together, that is de jure for your zones, for your fortresses, these little outposts. They are forts. They are considered fortresses. They have, um, inclined walls, everything built out of, uh, quick crete and, uh, basically mixable, uh, materials on the spot that expand and create, like, insulation foam, Basically, that expand and create uh, pretty rigid, insulated uh, barriers that they can erect literally, you know, within the hour or two of, of establishing these outposts, you know, if any are damaged or whatever, and then man as, you know, easily as you are, are basically effectively as you would in a new wall. For the most part, though, these installations are mostly subterranean and dug into the actual soil and bedrock themselves. If not, then the soil is added on top of the uh, installations. Like I said, also, sometimes through artificial means, including this foam, which is then covered up um, so that they're not as exposed to the elements, temperature, etc. And so... Much like your Antarctic colonies, that they allow you to witness and see, these things are tailor-made to the environments. Deserts get desert facilities with desert environmental conditions. Jungles get their own specific water-resistant, uh, non—you know—metallic-type structures, uh, easy up, quick down type thing, but with more of a mindset so towards keeping out moisture, etc. Um, cold weather, temperature areas get insulated, you know, heat specific outposts. This is a mixture between civilian and military. So there's, this is where the military is eating, sleeping, uh, resting, treating its medical needs, etc. So there's a lot of that, those facilities at this level. Yeah, so this is a three level thing. So this is the second level where the two worlds are meeting. The civilian personnel out there are scientists, so their lab equipment, their technology, computers, uh, you know, sensors, uh, tools, etc. is kept there in these facilities as well, as well as any of their analysis, tests, experiments, etc. Now, this could range from soil samples to, uh, you know... Um, literally live specimens of uh, flora and fauna that they're collecting and searching out in these greater areas or these hollow earth areas. So, everything is like I said, is circumstantial and mission based, but the civilians are trying to take advantage of the opportunity as much as they can. The Rockefeller Corp is demanding the information because knowledge is power, etc. And one of the reasons why they do things like collect livestock, living specimens, or, or actual zoological specimens isn't simply to add to the Audubon Society uh, or the academic, you know, knowledge of the world, which they'll never hope, you know, never see conventionally, but uh, is to search for any natural resource which could be sold for a profit or treated as uh, an, an exportable, um, you know, monopoly. And they don't laugh because aspirin was once cultivated from the bark of a tree in the Amazon. And that same spirit is applied to much of the colonization and scientific effort in Antarctica. People don't know this. But Antarctica, one of the uh, biggest reasons why they want to keep it away from state or country level control is because of natural resources, which private companies want to harvest and exploit without needing to um, gain permission or share any profits with state-level entities. And at that level, state-level entities, you know, could defeat major corporations. They don't want any competition. There's this huge uh, uh, reality behind that, that natural resources are... It, or it's, it's like almost a billion dollar, a trillion dollar a year uh, industry. Let me look it up uh, real quick. Hold on one second. Let's see. Natural, exploitable resources in Antarctica. Just as an example of value. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything with a with a clear summary of how much there is actually like, you know, estimated dollar amount there is, but but, you know, there are hundred there's eight million results. Eight million results for the search term, natural exploitable resources in Antarctica. And I was hoping that there'd be like a Wikipedia article that could bring up like a clear estimate, like a sum. But uh you know the the list is, is in the hundreds of actual elements and things that are found there. Same within the natural resource, food sources, medical uh, medical uh, usages. Um, you know everything from a bio, exactly like you know biotechnological uh, applications like um, even fuel and in, in natural energy and everything even though that situation seems to be resolved that any possible or any exploitable resource has to be studied and learned uh, it can't be left as an unknown and this takes the ultimate manifestation as zoologists and biologists, horticulturalists being drawn up in the ranks and let explore these areas as well as uh, for example archaeologists and um, and uh, paleontologists working alongside say for example like oil uh, geologists or geologists specializing in the in the discovery of oil or gold because the, the value of these two crafts even though if you put a money uh, dollar value on it would seem like the people finding oil and gas, oil and um, gold are going to take a higher priority, but if you factor in the fact that we're in a post-scarcity world and we have advanced alien technology, etc. at our disposal, um, the traditional priorities of private interest when it comes to natural resources is converted to that of the actual reclamation of... um, or as quick of and as accurate of a reclamation of the environment that you're inheriting or you're colonizing. Meaning you don't want to unintentionally destroy or uh, mistake any artificial structure for a natural structure. You don't want to be beat to the discovery of it even though you have the home-filled advantage as it were. Uh, because you literally found it first. Now, this is like when the United States was colonized, and I mean from the k- days of the first British uh, colonists and uh, to the days of, you know, creating all 50 states, the present day. That's a huge issue. The Smithsonian Institute, for example, is responsible for that. The ac- acquisition. Ca- and archival and cataloging of all Native American First Nations uh, archaeology, uh, paleoglyphs, uh, historical artifacts, things like that. That is a huge thing the government's extremely interested in. And that takes highest prior- priority. Not the discovery of like silver, not the discovery of copper, although those people are working alongside them. Uh, you know, obviously given equal respect and everything, but Traditional fields that you would think are not important, like um, exactly like the the uh, the the anthropologists of the world, the um, primatologists, exactly like all these little specific uh, scientific specialties, um, they are allowed to participate and given a as equal a priority or given an equal as importance within the, 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 the colonization effort. And so they're given equal quarter. They're given their own facilities. They're given their own laboratories. These people are catered to and defended and, and when they operate, when they request things, then the military helps facilitate them. As well as these are the people that the military are defending. Remember, the military is up there defending Rockefeller's company men. Rockefeller owns these company men as part of their academic and, and intellectual class of uh, discoverers and explorers on their salary. And, the, you know, the, the, the level of their expertise is, you know, worth defending. This is why the military isn't up there specifically to conquer. Uh, and in this situation, I'm giving you an ideal, like, peacetime environment for it. Where it's not like entrenched in any kind of uh, warfare or bush war or in a a hostile environment. But one of the hostilities at this stage is literal um, predation by wildlife and things like that. Pack hunters, uh, flying predators on migrations, um, and atypical fauna, etc. So we're talking more of a defensive... You know, perimeter, close to perimeter, where everyone's accounted for, everyone's secure. So everyone has things like uh, GPS sensors, etc., tagged into them as implants. At this stage, uh, all civilians you have to go there are basically all linked up to uh, LoJack. So that if anyone goes missing, that they, they can be tracked, you know, and found by uh, the military, regardless if they're inside something's stomach or not. There are creatures of incredible size, kaiju in the hollow earth and Antarctica. There are flying reptilians closest to dragons, as you can possibly get to in real life, living dinosaurs. Like I said, insects of many different kinds and colonies um, that operate, uh, subterranean creatures. The environments are circumstantial, so not every single environment presents every single threat equally but for example there is always a need for security and there's always a need for the military to provide these things there's never one position in this exploration effort where uh, scientists and civilians are um, not treated as you know precious as cargo as they are now in this level 2 to help out that civilians tasks their day to day lives they're given a lot of AI they're given a lot of robotics Specifically, this is the stage where you start seeing like androids, uh, or you, the the limits of where androids are deployed. Your your bipedal, um, two-legged assistant droids and everything, typically for labor, typically for your smaller odd jobs, things like carrying, um, you know, heavy things, back and forth between laboratories, uh, you know, rudimentary functions such as cleaning facilities. But you also start seeing, but you also get a lot of, uh, you know, your computers areas. Your, 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 your This is basically a, a fully automatic uh, facility, and the administrators of these forts. It's an equal cooperation between humans and their AI assistants, their AI aides and diplomats, etc. Which these facilities, while the soldiers in the field may not be in communication with each other. These facilities are in communication with all the soldiers out there, all the explorers, all the uh, cavalry, and each other outpost in the area. And this is where the network begins. So a lot of the people out here, a lot of the machines out here, are doing work that people normally would. Your radio men, your um, couriers, your logistics experts, your encrypted, you're, yeah, you know exactly your your uh, uh, cryptographics people, yeah. Your, your um, you know, basic uh, Intel IT-type crowd, that's all automated at this point, as well as your uh, basic labor. So you wouldn't need people there specifically to clean. You wouldn't need uh, camp followers for cooking, things like that. And as previously mentioned, other positions around those uh, facilities could be provided by... Um, MK Ultra uh, GI personnel through the military, the military's barracks, for example, being taken care of by their own, just given false pretexts for what they're really doing and how they're really operating. These are not small outposts. These are not cramped outposts. These outposts aren't like, uh, you know, stacked on top of each other within like a very, you know, uh, constricted area. No, these are wide open, miles long. Um, Exactly like, where you couldn't see either gate, if you stood in the middle from the entrance, back entrance or, or front entrance, you couldn't see any fence line. But you know the fence line is out there, and you assured that's connected. We're talking outposts like that, where the science quarters may only meet military representatives during scheduled meetings. And the military would have very little daily interaction with civilians. Civilians would have very little daily interaction with the military. And if anything, the only presence being that the civilians would have more um, uh, oh, self-awareness of their true location and project than, for example, any military that would be out there. Um, except for those that are, you know, in the know, etc. Because at this stage... Like I said, either you, you are completely MK Ultra or basically a lobotomite like, just taking orders and following commands uh, completely unaware of your situation uh, or you are completely aware of your situation and have already basically bought a one-way ticket t- to these areas, to this area of life and you exist in this breakaway civilization. Uh, thus, the secret isn't necessary to be kept from you Nor is the truth really necessary. You understand that you're not going to be told the whole truth, so they don't mind telling you half. Like you know exactly, like they don't mind telling you you are in the Hollow Earth. They don't mind telling you you are part of like a a very special program, Uh, but they may not tell you the true extent of like the exo politics of the Breakaway Society, Solar Warden, things like that. in fact when I was operating in the Hollow Earth that the Solar Warden people who were to witness it and see it, it would be kind of like uh I guess it, it it'd be as shocking as seeing um Solar Warden anywhere. That wow, it does exist, you know, like that the legends are true, that what people, you know what people rumor and, and gossip about, you know, and, and kind of like whisper about, it's right here, it's right in front of us, you know, it's like that it actually does have a shape and form of it it was very strange because having been in Solar Warden that, that that was the treatment that we were receiving it was like if we were literally um, from the future from space you know we were literally like these these you know like Halo level Master Chief figures it was just very odd reverence but it was very you know appropriate now that I see it in context but that's the state where the hollow earth science level is is not this medium zone in the field Able to access, basically, you know, off the grid, living off the land, basically, but very well-connected, very well-secured, and very well-populated outposts. Kept online through exactly like UAV internet connections, uh, bipedal runners, couriers, automated defenses, uh, the military personnel that's stationed there, uh, full-time, etc. This is where, this is the closest to home that you're going to get as far away from home. As you can possibly be. Now, as you include, or basically um, trace yourself back to, say, an originating point, there are already cities being built, or what can be considered cities being built in uh, Antarctica, in the Hollow Earth, in these greater areas. um, Less so the greater areas because of the uh, massive distance. So, if anything, the the most developed areas would be the Hollow Earth. The second most developed areas would be Antarctica, and the third most developed areas would be the Greater Earth. Uh, the, basically the outside continents. And it's specifically only because of range. The Hollow Earth has already been reached. We have continental access to it. We have access to every every continent has access to the Hollow Earth uh, through the mountain ranges that are present there. Um... It's, it's a very open secret. It's been researched and developed since the 1800s in America, uh, as well as around the world. Longer than that, since the ancient days of Rome and stuff. The Hollow Earth already have, has existing colonies and states and countries, etc., in this, um, in this uh, unique biome of subterranean worlds places like Agartha and stuff like that. that Those are independent countries. Um, St. John's Land uh, or St. Martin's Land, uh, for example, underneath France. That's an established country with a monarchy history and everything. They, the infrastructure available there is more akin to um, a real community. Like a real Colony, than you know the the other two, which is more like being in you know a wilderness, being like in a frontier, like a savanna resort kind of thing, or like you know an Antarctic uh, base. These are colonies. There are towns. There are people who are born and live their lives in these colonies finding uh, companionship, finding love, finding uh, employment, pursuing you know their creativity, etc, while citizens of these communities that they are not truly told the situation that they're in, but that they go to work, crunching numbers they think is for, you know, legitimate reasons. They're not aware, really, of how odd and unique their situation is. This is how colonies work. Well, eventually, all you're doing is opening a door to live like you already do, but somewhere far away from where you currently live. It's like when the British or the Spanish came to America... They acted the same. They didn't change anything, and they just built the same style of buildings and they lived in the same style of housing and families and they had the same jobs and farmed the same and they went to the same Catholic church and they spoke Spanish. They didn't change the fucking language. They still speak Spanish. The British, they spoke English across they just went to across an ocean and fought an entire, you know. 400 year war against the Native Americans and the French and, and conquered and tamed America to speak English still and not change what they wanted, like how they lived. They didn't want to change. Then that's the way that these colonists truly function in the modern day context of the word in the Hollow Earth, in uh, Antarctica, and in the greater Earth colonies that they're creating. They are typically modern cultured people. They like said they're given the ticket to go over there through their connections with companies and with specifically very powerful families and houses um, for example Saudi Arabians that are allowed to go and live and colonize the hollow earth act like Saudi Arabians in the hollow earth so if you go to um, Agartha now which is a very transmopolitan, uh cosmopolitan uh, place right. It's a very met- It's a very built-up city at this point. Urban, urban. You know, highways connected, vehicles, etc. Where uh, traditionally, when it was discovered a hundred years ago, it was like a medieval or Renaissance-level city or area called Agartha. It has modernized and been basically occupied by humans. Um, not through the extent of its territory, there are so many, you know, Agarthan cities that this is, you know, entire countries worth, basically, entire colonies worth inside the Earth. But now it has very little resemblance to what it was once. Uh, same as Europe. Europe a hundred years ago was cobblestones and like horse-drawn carriages, and you look at modern Europe, and it's it's modern. It, exactly. It's it's. <coughs> it comes as no surprise. That as time goes on that things evolve and the days of when we first discovered hollow Earth and it was very medieval and very um, strangely anarchi- like you know anachronistic and archaic that has evolved they, that system is is in the past they have roads now they have uh, modern vehicles they said powered by anti-gravity powered by the water-powered car. They have the Tesla electricity, yes, but the city itself runs, they have uh, modern issues with modern people um, because of the colonization efforts, like I said, the Saudi Arabian family, for example, it raised like the, the say the husband, the patriarch was uh, an engineer. And he's down there to help facilitate engineering projects, right? Working for a company from Saudi Arabia that's paid by the crown to go down there as part of this hollow earth breakaway civilization. It's a one-way ticket. He's going to live his life in Agartha and, you know, his family's going to do the same. But in return, it's an incredible, well-kept and hygienic and clean, safe community, it is, uh, you know, uh, a chance for him to actually explore his potential professionally and uh, creatively with his projects. He's, he's not going to be worried about living day-to-day or the world's evils and its problems. Uh, his children are guaranteed an education. His, uh, you know, wife is guaranteed, you know, medical care, etc. And that's satisfying for him as well as he gets a large salary. Um, you know, much larger than what he would get on the surface world. So his ticket's are already bought, right? He wants to sign up for it. When they go down there, their lifestyle adds to the cosmopolitan atmosphere so that a outsider, the best I can represent it, or best I can express is when you go down to these colonies, is that they are like big, major cities from the future. Like... The roads are clean, and there's not a lot of pollution, and it's built, like, ergonomically. Like, everything is super comforting and, like, super... Not, like, it's built psychologically with, the, with comfort in mind, you know, by, by experts. And it's like Tomorrowland. The cars drive themselves. Uh, you know, people go about their daily lives with a sense of, like, uh, safety and security and trust. And people are extremely friendly, But everyone's very different because you have the Europeans, you have Middle Eastern people, you have South Americans, Africans, you have uh, Asians of every different kind of nationality. They're all there working in the docks. And this is not exactly what they do, but they work basically as the people who uh, facilitate the loading And distribution of the materials necessary to continue outward expansion. And like L.A. is built around L.A. Harbor and the port of Los Angeles. Houston is built around the port of Houston. New York is built around the Hudson River and the port of New York. You know, New York City port. Major communities arise at major ports. It's not fucking... Uh, what I'm trying to say is that's exactly the atmosphere. It's like if you go to any port city, Shanghai, Tokyo, it's got a port. And that's the truth, is that the cities are built around ports. And as goods and ships and shit enter, uh, which are mostly exactly the, the, the limitations of the ships... These are only reachable by these long-term marathon-level ships Are there airports. Uh, they're also this major airport uh, component because all these places are reached through these long-range nuclear-powered airplanes, etc. This is also literally the only chance these people have at connection with the main world. And at this same time, they, they, that's really where the issue is, like... It's it's because outside the port there is no connection to the outside world. The port's the only place you can get real information, slash real contact with people as a bridge between the two societies. Because of that, the population density is the highest. Um, it's it's it's. Very similar to how cities are built around the real world. what I said about Shanghai, Tokyo, Houston. It's where you get millions of people who do not all work for the port. They don't all work at the port, but they all kind of work around the port. They all kind of live because of the port. And even though they're allowed to have their other jobs, those are only luxuries that are built to service the real population. That exists primarily through the money that and the occupation and the goals of the port, which is to get goods, generally uh, ammunition supplies, parts, equipment, machinery, like I said not fuel you 'll very rarely find any real physical liquid fuel like oil, diesel, etc, traveling back and forth, most of that 's been converted to water power, most of that has been converted to uh, lithium batteries, solar energy. Um, anti-gravity helps reduce a lot of the needs for, say, for example, lubricant and stuff like that within the parts themselves. Um, uh, but at the same time, uh, you still are building an imp- you're building a colony, you're building a new state, you're building a country. So everything from the materials necessary to build roads and, and to pave them, uh, everything from the necessity to, uh, clothes, Or textile mills, manufacturing, things like that. Like It's very weird how much you take for granted in the modern world that was made 100 years ago, 100 plus years ago. For example, um, if a city can't produce blue jeans, it needs all its blue jeans to be imported. And the more people, the more pants they need. So you have literally to if you're running a fiction, like, you know, you're running this, this colony, you have to either create a blue jean factory or make sure that the, the, the blue jeans keep flowing basically. Right. And at that point, this is where you get modern logistics and that you realize that the same needs, like those very mundane needs are what people need no matter where they are these people ironically they are in the hollow earth they're in Antarctica in colonies and yet they still want like uh, you know uh, fashionable clothing they still want fresh food like fresh meat they still want fresh vegetables and a lot of that has to be created on the spot because we are making these colonies not inheriting them Not if you're lucky sometimes they are inherited like Agartha and its cities uh, but a lot of times throughout the greater earth and everything from scratch, farms have to be developed, land has to be, uh, you know, tilled, irrigation has to be developed. Um, uh, ranching has to be, you know, sustained for abattoirs created, slaughterhouses, uh, created, uh, meat processing centers, warehousing, uh, everything from creating the roads that are necessary to facilitate these products to the places where the products are going to be bought and sold and distributed to the population and then the system like banks and everything like that being put all online is the current situation they're building that infrastructure as we speak in these areas one city at a time people don't really appreciate the level of intense development and urban development that went into creating something like America Or the modern world anywhere. Uh, We take paved roads for granted in many cases. Because in many cases it is. It's rudimentary. We think that and we expect and we rightfully do expect that our country should be able to handle it. But say colonizing Antarctica. We are lucky if every part of the colony connects. And geographically that's just one city's worth of area. And outside those limits, there is nothing but wilderness. And so two colonies need to take air travel to reach each other. Because the land between them is impassable. And the range between them is hundreds of thousands of miles. Hundreds of thousands of kilometers. that's greater earth level scale hollow earth is a little different hollow earth is absolutely the case where you're seeing that you have to come up with alternative means of travel to connect the colonies one colony could exist above another colony and be only maybe a mile separated from them but unless it can take advantage of burrowing are finding access points between the two, it might be impossible from lo- from the first colony to actually physically reach the second colony because the circumnavigating the long way, quote unquote, the long way, means going through you know incredibly uh, treacherous you know terrain and everything, or, or impassable terrain, just simply impassable terrain. That's how the cavern systems are, are, are created, where caverns that are miles long and, um, you know, miles high, and, and the same area of Texas, for example, but underground in the giant cave, that from that Texas-sized cave, it's actually impossible to enter another cavern that's right next to it, that's even bigger... But if you were, like, on the surface, it would just be as the crow flies between entrance points. So you have to go from the Texas-sized cavern out to the outer world, from the hollow world to the surface world, then travel from the surface world to another destination on the surface map, then go into the hollow earth to conveniently find the next colony. It's like a beehive. Or, it's you know, it's much more tricky and difficult. And at the same time, um that equals out because whereas the other hardship is just distance beyond what is imaginable, you know, like currently because of our geography being only five percent at max, five to ten percent of the real geographical map, a real earth available. Like I said, you yes, the earth itself is I think ten thousand miles across or twelve thousand miles around as they tell you. Now, if you would use that scale, the Earth is about i don 't know if we're only five to ten percent of the of the real earth then a um, hundred thousand miles conservative conservative uh surface like you know um, uh, uh, perimeter of the earth or sur- surface diameter of the Earth. Um, hundred thousand miles to two hundred thousand miles, easy, from from the proportions that I've seen, from what I've seen, that, that exactly that. If you were to reach one into the other between two colonies, as it stands, uh, you would have to literally travel the distance of the Earth several times over, um, and the hollow earth like I said is is much more difficult and much more treacherous because you would have to be for example able to burrow straight through the earth core through the earth which is possible in most cases but in some cases you would have to then come up with a way of um entering and exiting you know and and at that point it's as of though each of these subterranean worlds is an island world to itself it's it's own planet to itself at that point isn't it and that like I said before the ranges being microscopic compared to uh, macroscopic within these caverns is a world unto itself so whereas the difficulty in Antarctica or in um, the greater earth is the distance because everyone has to operate really far away from each other at great distances uh, distances that would otherwise be impossible if it wasn't for technology Mm -hmm. Um, in this case, the intensity of the situation is made difficult because of how close everything has to operate, and how tight everything has to be. Uh, as previously stated, it's not a matter of space, but we're talking where, as previously discussed, the threefold layer, threefold fold uh, you know, perimeters of it, where you have your port of entrance, and your major civilian colony, then your... Uh, mix of scientific and military personnel and then your complete military, uh, authority out at the very edge of, of the, uh, territory of the colony as it stands. Where the greater Earth in Antarctica, that might be a distance of 10,000 miles, uh, you know, or 2,000 miles, uh, that, the hollow Earth, that will be, uh, 200 miles That'll be within the hour in an in actual, like, you know, like, like a real car ride, like two hours, three hours in a real car ride. Close, close. We're talking about even less than 100 miles, down to 20 miles sometimes, where you have your port of ingress, your uh, port of entrance, your beachhead, filled with its civilians, filled with its labor personnel, filled with its infrastructure, doing its best to kind of facilitate a, the, the, the push inland, Your scientific uh, military, you know, uh, analytics and intelligence uh, perimeter, running data, acquiring as much information as it can and keeping as much uh, advantage, getting as much advantage on the location as possible, environment as possible and doing his best to, um, you know, uh, be the eyes, the ears and the, you know, the brains of the operation and the external front lines, as or the perimeter where live fire downrange is going on, and uh, military personnel are living and dying, um, and killing for the, the safety of the others. Right, really out there doing uh, what they were made to do, what they were trained to do. That could be within a distance of 20 miles. That could be audible, where the people in the port are hearing the thunderous artillery booms. Outside the horizon, as artillery is fending off natives, artillery is fending off the Mayan, Aztec, uh, yeah, tribal slaves, etc., or defending itself from wildlife, defending itself from these kaiju that exist naturally out there, or even other aggressive, uh, you know, predator species, whether they be pack animals or uh, intelligent life, you know, that's that's the, the difficulty of the hollow earth is that when you're talking about the exploration process um, you know the, the sheer amount of distance in the greater earth compared to the sheer intensity of the hollow earth where uh, we're talking people high volume traffic because of the hostilities and the dangers the sorry environmental dangers the, the the natural disasters that are present down there, as well as the intense amount of life, uh, diseases, flora, fauna, uh, everything from parasites to um, uh, just just extreme inhospitable conditions, um, permanent darkness, uh, you know, extreme heat, extreme cold, things like that. The difficulty is where. A explorer or an exploring party in the greater Earth in Antarctica might cover, you know, a hundred miles per day on his journeys simply between outpost to outpost, uh, and need to survive multiple nights exposed, you know, during their patrols and during their duties. The Hollow Earth explorer, the Hollow Earth soldier, the the pioneer, the cavalryman there. Could face a hundred threats within 10 hours and go from each situation, um, you know, fighting for his life before the completion of one full day. And then, when returning to base, then be required to debrief and explain and, and, you know, uh, provide as much information and intelligence on the situation because that it really is a vital situation where it's you need to constantly be in communication constantly be in this high stress environment but their term would be shorter and their efforts even more uh, microscopic because it would seem like less land was tamed less mileage was covered Um, you know less land is uh, less of the mystery is understood and the fight is uh, is it yeah um, Far from over, far from over, from the idea of colonizing the hollow earth. This isn't even including the Mayan Aztec threat that occurs, and the more prime existence the lands. The the greatest irony, and uh, I guess you call it uh, biggest reality check, that the explorers uh, for the Rockefeller own breakaway civilization, the Solar Ward, or the Frontier Group, the I.C. experienced back in the day. The I mean back in hundred years ago. When this all started, was they had reached a point in the Hollow Earth in South America that seemed perfect: lush fields, clear, drinkable water. Um, you know, amazing, uh, fruitful, you know, beautiful paradise. Basically, I thought they had found the Garden of Eden, and had set up camp and established their first city there, their first colony. Uh, they had called it Fordville uh, based off of uh, uh, Henry Ford and in this Amazonian colony a lot of Americans that had worked for GM etc. were given jobs uh, in the same model that would then be pioneered currently through companies, through perfect companies that that operate as patriotic companies uh, with government contracts etc. they're then hybridized and kind of recruited on these one way tickets they went there with their children, with their possessions, and then a lot of the locals and natives were required to work on there and go there as well, uh, volunteered for it. And then as suddenly as one night the Aztec Mayas showed back up, uh, made aware of the presence of this industrial civilization and having seen artificial lights where no artificial lights had been before, began to slaughter and to capture and sacrifice them after interrogating them. Uh, without any respect to their Western society or privilege or whiteness or uh, you know modernity or anything, they they treated them as if though they were any other tribe that they were going to uh, make an example of for trespassing on my Aztec territory, as they had done to the Spanish before them, as they had done to literally thousands of different groups of people throughout history. And they performed, um, the, the, the sacrifice of the sun on, um, you know, every man and woman and child that was on there, which is the removal of the heart and, you know, the decapitation and offering up the blood to the sun God or the rain God. And, um, that was the end of the first colony expedition, as communication had ceased, the cover story was created as a local rebellion, but that really did cause a lot of uh, militarization of these efforts. Uh, far, far, um... It was far too bitter of a pill to swallow that, uh um, Americans in the 20th century had been sacrificed to the gods of the Aztecs that had been presumed to be extinct. And that really stands as a difference and an entry point. I guess the next episode will have to be now the explanation of the Aztec Mayan uh, military and their culture and their modern society. Uh, It's a very fascinating uh, reality to kind of have to explore, but also a very... um, Very... um, Important kind of counterpiece, a counterpoint to know between modern Western breakaway civilization, this ancient breakaway civilization that is absolutely uh, shrouded in mystery, but at the same time, uh, spiritually and psychologically very powerful as an identity. Much more powerful, I think, proportionally to anyone in the West or anyone in this domestic lands, which we were allowed to resettle after the Great Reset. Um, It is a it is a society and an enemy that I respect extraordinarily. Respect them, as well as having uh, recovered memories of my service against them, genocides against them. So, I will be uh, holding nothing back when it comes to the description of the Aztec Mayan, their culture, their modernity, and their technology. But yeah, as it stands, point they colonization and exploration of the hollow earth, the greater earth and Antarctica is not science fiction it's happening now, if anything it is the application of centuries old formula, doctrine and experience and the very basic colonization practices as practiced by the Europeans on the new world and as people all over the world throughout the 20th century etc., uh, the 19th and 20th century in Africa and in Southeast Asia and South America. Um, and the main difference is that technology literally lifts the heavy load. Instead of human slavery, instead of the former preoccupation of trade routes and, and, and uh piracy, etc., and uh slave trade. Now, AI and robotics and automated control like uh, it takes the place of needing to enslave people, needing to control and to keep these people as permanent uh, property for the safe being and function of your society. Whereas everything else remains incredibly similar, including the diversity, the uh, the diversity of the people who make up the civilian population of these colonies. The structure of the extent network, security structure, forts, the, the, the doctrines of uh, infantry to platoon level to ranger level, um, you know, soldiers, everything from the way they operate in the field to their, um, you know, reliance on this greater networking of technology that's being made available and present to them, as well as automatic weaponry, suppression, um, superiority of firepower, etc., Uh, Reliance on long-range, you know, surveillance, um, drones, sentry drones for support. Everything from the advancements of uh, ammunition to providing force multiplication when it comes to firepower, exploding rounds, being able to take out, you know, massive targets, etc. Anti-tank, anti-material rifles, etc. being the norm. Um, The... The more things stay more, more things change, the more things stay the same. That's the ultimate lesson to take from these modern day conquistadors, from these modern day uh British you know colonists, from these modern day um, you know um, pilgrims and settlers. Uh, the West Indies companies, etc. The, these people are following that tradition. And they seem to be following, or at least not following, but extending it, extending the same reality outward to its next level of evolution. And with the new world peace that's happening between the Artemis Treaty and the nations around the world, it'll be very interesting to see how China adds to it. And what innovations and what improvements on existing technology they can make. As well as what they can do to quicken the speed of which we are taming these wildernesses. We are, we are learning about these frontiers. As well as how much they can help in this ongoing struggle we have with this other intelligence uh, group of humans known as the Aztec Mayans, and if so, what good can come of it? Whether or not it be a military victory on our part as the break as the modern world, which obviously I hold allegiances to as the Earth Alliance and the Blue Sphere Alliance, the uh, the the Solar Warden, uh, you know identity that I have uh, my allegiances are clearly on this side where the Mayan Aztec were the enemy but on a human level on a pacifist level on a higher level we are all human so maybe this might be enough to force a peace and yes even a peace at the the threat of war uh, is still a peace enough you know it, it So it's very interesting what the future will hold. But yeah, that's a, that's about as much in, in this subject, of course, you know, there's volumes and volumes to learn and learn about it, but uh that's about what the extent of the knowledge behind or the, the the truth behind colonization exploration is. It's not science fiction, it's the real applications of traditional experience and um and uh, doctrine, but modernized, but evolved to include AI, to include automation, to include um, uh, the best uh, that defense has created and operated in. And uh, literally money is no expense when it comes to uh, providing for the security, the safe being, and the skill of the literal human factor present there. Including having the technology do uh, you know a superhuman share of the load. Which is the labor, and which is uh, the security duties. So, yeah, thank you all very much for hearing the ground level, uh, you know, colonization um, explanation that I have there for the Hollow Earth and for the Greater Earth, for Antarctica. And um, next episode will be about the threats, the species that are found there, the Mayan Aztec nation, um, the Orion Draco survivor uh, remnants, the Hollow Earths, extraterrestrials, etc. Now that that's basically kind of old news, I can I can speak kind of freely about it. But I've also talked about it before. But it'll be my pleasure to kind of speak about it in great detail as I know it now. Um, so yeah, look forward to that. Look forward to you guys joining me there again. Uh, the Beyond Top Secret Texan Podcast. Uh, check me out on Instagram. Check me out on YouTube. Check me out on TikTok before they uh, permanently deplatform me on there because I've already gotten three community guide strikes. Total bullshit. But yeah while you can check me out on tiktok uh library odyssey both video platforms i i use youtube uploading a lot of videos if you want to support this or get access to exclusive video evidence hours i have 10 hours already uploaded uploading 10 more hours this month of my video evidence archive exclusively uh, links available on patreon $1 a month gives you access to those links, gives you access to exclusive podcasts, gives you access to exclusive content, as well as direct messaging with yours truly, the Beyond Top Secret Texan, via Telegram and via Patreon or via Instagram. Um, $1 a month gives you access to all of that. It is a great deal and helps support independent citizen journalism, a real truther, and someone who's really providing unique and never before, um, you know, expressed expertise, insider knowledge, really for how the secret space program, solar warden, earth alliance level, uh you know, real exopolitics operate. So consider supporting for a dollar a month, uh, via Patreon, patreon.com slash beyond top secret Texan. Thank you all very much. Uh, You know, if you can't support me, I know times are tough, but consider liking, subscribing, and sharing my media, the YouTube videos, this podcast, websites, everything, social media, uh, with your friends, with your posse, with your family. Um, Definitely, you know, follow, like as much as you can on Instagram and YouTube. That helps me out tremendously, reach audiences, members around the world. Uh, Without your help, you know, none of this stuff is possible. With your help everything is possible. You know, the world, sky's the limit. So, uh, namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron. A friend sharpens a friend. God bless you and your families. Thank you all very much. Peace out.